Our family has lived with this curse for generations. We transform into the 12 animals of the Chinese Zodiac. <sighs> Sorry, the 12 animals plus the cat. <sighs> anyway, whenever our bodies come under a great deal of stress, or when we're hugged by a member of the opposite sex, we transform. After a little while, we change back. The only thing is, uh, we're naked. <laughs> What's up, everybody, and welcome to Anime Bebe, where rice balls always belong in fruits baskets. This is your host, president of the Toru Honda fan club, Mikey, and joining me as always is... President of the Shigure fan club, your <laughs> co-host, Ryan. I knew you'd love him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you were actually betting on that? Oh, yeah, like when I watched the first season, I'm just like, I bet you Shigure's a Ryan boy. Ah, <laughs> uh, you guessed right. Ah, yeah. uh, but yes, guess who's back, back again. Fruits Baskets back, tell a friend. Oh, I've been waiting for this one. Yeah, that's right. After uh, two long years, uh, we're reuniting with our friends Toru and the Somos for season two of the Fruits Basket reboot. How does it feel to come back after so long? Honestly, really good. I mean, like, cause, like I, I, I kind of wanted to hold off on watching it till, uh, till, we, till we actually got around to, to it for the podcast. But like every now and then, I did kind of get that itch to like rewatch it. And even when I was starting back up again... I was thinking, oh, is it really, is it going to be, like, hard like it is for, like, some other anime that, like, just don't really gel with me or something? No, just just as easy for me to get into Fruits Basket. <laughs> oh, yeah. They I, I found it so easy. Right in. found it so easy to plow through the episodes. Found them so charming. Like, like it, like all of, all of, like, the appeal of Fruits Basket is equally as present in Season 2 as it was in Season 1. Especially considering that Season 2 has less new characters to introduce and, but it has way more time to, like, refine its characters. Yep, and uh, a lot more story and lore to drop on us, too. Like, they really go hard for the season compared to season one. And yeah, that kept me chugging along just, like, in a very in a very economic fashion for Fruits Basket uh, Season 2. I mean, I, I there were moments where I was like, man, could I really finish this anime in two days? And I thought to myself, nah, let's... Let's 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 space this out a little bit, Ryan. Yeah, like maybe let it breathe. three three episodes a day next week, like leading up to the podcast. Like you you can you can let the series uh, breathe like a like a fine brandy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, apologies for uh, taking a while to get back to this one. I hope the wait wasn't too bad for you and for uh, all you listeners out there. 
You know, like, uh, we took a break from it last year because I wanted to get to some, like, other more romance anime around the February time, you know, like uh, Toradora and Beastars. Right, right. We had some other ones we wanted to get to there yeah, as well. Yeah, no. Sometimes, you know, like, uh, not like in My Hero Academia where we try to do those once every year for the seasons, but sometimes I kind of do want to, like, space things out a little bit, get to some other shows first before we go back to stuff we've already done. But, uh, you know what? Two years is long enough. We're going back into it. We're back in the saddle for Fruits Basket. Yes, we are finally here. Though, uh, since the last time we covered Fruits Basket, uh, a lot has happened, other than the uh, obvious thing, of course, which started a week after I uploaded the Season 1 episode. Uh, but the big thing that's happened since then is that uh, the reboot has aired both this season and its final season, so all of Fruits Basket, uh, the anime, has come out in the time it took to get uh, for us to get to Season 2. Yes, finally! <laughs> like, it's all out there for people to consume. Yeah, it's just, it's all out here and right now, you, like, you can go and watch the final season right now if you wanted to. <laughs> But uh, yeah, as far as background goes, uh, like with a lot of the uh, follow-up seasons we, d- we cover on this uh, program, there's not really much change between uh, Season 1 and Season 2. It's a lot of the same uh, people on production, a lot of the same voice cast and everything. You know, Yoshihide Ibata is still the director, TMS is still doing the animation, Funimation is still handling the dub with the same cast, with Caitlin Glass still in the director's chair, and Bonnie Clickenbeard and Jeremy Kratz doing the adaptation, so... The whole band's back together for this one. Like, they're not uh, they're not changing things up. Yeah, we're just moving right along with this gravy train here. We're going to get into a big season right here. Like, it's bigger and better than season one in ways. Yeah, the, this yeah this season packs, packs a lot into its 25 episodes. <laughs> and, it, and it had me enthralled, like, every episode of the way. So <laughs> uh, it took a little time to, like, you know, get back in the flow of certain characters and, like, what their, and, like, what their deal was, you know. But, uh, no, it all flowed back uh, pretty well for me. So, let's get into it. With all that out of the way, we're talking... All about Fruits Basket Season 2. So without further ado, let's start the show. First things first, the opening and the ending. The opening is Prism by AMPM featuring Mayuna, and the ending is Ad Meliora by The Charm Park. What do you think of these uh, first two uh, openings and endings? Mm, this opening is very is uh, quite charming. It's very nice. 
a bit sl- a bit slow, you know, but like it it it, it eases you back into a uh, second season quite well. Definitely does, and also we see we get to see all the characters again. We see all the somas, and we all, we're also reminded like you know which zodiac animal they are because in the opening we do see like their animal right next to them. So it's a it's a good way it's, it's a good reminder for to remind who was who reacquainting you with all you whom with all of whom you are familiar with and also showing off uh, who will be making their debuts. Yep, we season. do see some new characters here too, and we also see a bit more of uh, certain characters that we did meet last season. But uh, we're in this season, we're really going to know a lot more. Like their presence is going to be known much more around this season. Oh, quite a bit. And the ending is very nice too. I do like the kind of. Uh, you know, very almost like starry sky painting kind of look to it, and also like the oh little, yeah, it's really gorgeous. And the little like almost kind of like art cards with each soma and their animal too. I know that one. That one. That one has like a very like nice artsy kind of like almost like shadow puppetry like uh, feel vibe yeah, to it yeah. that I really like. Yeah, and like uh, both of them very nice, very easy to listen to. But like you know, that's been like kind of the mo for Fruits Basket openings ever since like the original anime. Just very, very nice, nice calming openings. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're back into the swing of things, and we even get a quickie recap of the first season, you know, reminding us who Toru Honda is, you know, how did she meet the Somas, who are each of the Somas, and uh, how do we lead into this moment right now, after, like, uh, a big thing that happened at the end of season one, you know, revealing, like, who, what uh, Kyo actually really is and everything, and, like, how we're gonna move on from that right here and right now. Yep, yep. Homeless Girl makes, uh, f- makes friends and family with people who turn animals when hearts go doki-doki, and... <laughs> <laughs> and uh and uh home and uh now home filled girl has to choose between a rat or a cat <laughs> are you team are you team yuki or team kyo <laughs> that is the question <laughs> and this season will make you question that even more oh god is it ever <laughs> like i thought i knew but then they give me moments where i'm just all like oh maybe 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 there's something else here well, yeah, yeah that's 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 gonna be what we'll be learning more about the season no but uh, from this point on we're in all new territory when it comes to, like, Fruits Basket in animated form. This is the fabled second season that we never got back in the day with the original anime. We're getting it now, and I was so giddy when I first started this. I'm just like, it's here! We're getting more Fruits Basket animated! I mean, man, imagine, like, the disappointment at that time, knowing that, like, you've read the manga and you know what's gonna happen later, and then the anim- the one and only anime that's gonna exist for, like, a long period of time stops right before <laughs> it, gets, it gets into all this heavy stuff that Season 2 covers. Imagine the disappointment as a Fruits Basket fan. It stops right when it's really gonna get good. Like, I love the ending to Season 1 and the original anime, you know, the stuff with Toru and Kyo, but it's like... Everything after that, it's even better. Like, think that, think the, the emotional level of that, but on a much bigger scale and with other characters, too. And, but like, then, but dealing then, with their baggage and stuff. But then now imagine that same person all these years later watching the, watching the remake anime, and finally, <laughs> season two is in their hands. The joy they must have as they experience that. I, I would I would really love to hear from like anyone who uh, and their, to, to describe their feelings of what that felt like as a fan of the original finally seeing the season two. Like I will say, like the moment like Funimation uploaded this episode for the first time and I pressed play watching it on TV, I'm just like, I couldn't believe it was real. Like I'm just like, am I really here watching the season two of Fruits Basket? Like is this actually here right now? I I just couldn't believe it. Like. A continuation after almost 20 years since the original anime and i'm sure it was pretty cathartic for like the uh the voice cast too for the dub too because you know they've been asked about a season two long before the remake was ever made you know like hey do you know there's gonna be a season two there's gonna be a season two and i'm sure they're all like 
yeah, we'd love to do a season two, but it's not up to us, you know? Maybe someday. And that day is today, finally. Yep, now everyone can shut up. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> also, stop asking us how to be voice actors. <laughs> uh, but now we uh, pick up from with uh, Yuki in preparation to assume the role of a student council president, which, if you remember, he was uh, handpicked by the former president to assume that role, like, after uh, summer vacation. And we actually do get to meet some uh, new characters, uh, members who will be... People will be part of his uh, presidential cabinet here. Let's get into them right now. Introducing Machi Kurage, played here by Caitlin Glass, and Kakeru Manabe, played here by Aaron Dismuke. Teased at the end of season one, if you remember, like they were kind of uh, students kind of in the shadows talking about Yuki, and now we meet him here. Yes, I was wondering what kind of importance they would be playing next season, and I was answered with that by uh, <laughs> essentially a brand new cast that could be in a spinoff anime that in all their own. Yeah, like you could... Like, looking at the stuff with Yuki and the student council, you can totally just make that its own spin-off right there. Uh, but what is the student council's deal, though? Yeah, they make quite the first impression. Like, uh, we see Machi, and, like, the first thing we see her is, like, the room is completely in tatters as, like, she's just throwing stuff around, like, kind of looking for some things, too, but also kind of, like, messing things up. And then we also see uh, Manabe who is a total goober. Like, he's the biggest goof. He's actually my favorite kind of goof. <laughs> and, like... As soon as Yuki sees him, he immediately thinks of his brother Ayame, and he's like, oh god, there's two of them now. <laughs> <laughs> but now, like, is cool. He, like, tries to be, he's trying to be a bro. He tries really hard to be a bro, while uh, Machi, she's very, very quiet and unassuming, very mysterious. But no, they kind of do leave a very good first impression. Like, you really want to learn more about them as the season goes on. You know, what is their deal, and what is their relationship between the two of them? Yeah, and this student council here is also, like, is I was surprised by how prevalent they were this season. Oh, yeah, and, like, it doesn't just stop at these two. We actually do meet more characters later on. That'll be a major part of the student council later. They become very, uh, very central to Yuki's character development for season two. Absolutely. I think it's I think it's just because like they're they're like actual normal people who could be normal friends to Yuki. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't really have anything like that in season one. Yeah, like, outside of his, like, uh, family in the Soma is, like, the only normal friend he had was Toru and, like, her friends. That was it. Yeah, that's it. But, like, with, with this new group, Yuki has a chance to actually strike out, you know, test his social skills, and maybe also uh, be challenged in a new way. And that's kind of another thing that I really liked about uh, Season 2 is, like, uh, we kind of branch out a bit more towards characters, like, outside of the Soma family or Somas we don't really get to know about. Like, case in point, this very first episode, the premiere actually dedicates some time to a... Uh, Motoko, the president of the Prince Yuki fan club, and, like, her relationship with Yuki. Even though it kind of didn't really need it. <laughs> didn't really need it, but I guess it's, like, since she's, a uh, she's, like, one year his senior, so she's probably gonna be graduating soon, they kind of want to, like, set her up a bit to give her a bit of a send-off later down the line. Ah, true. I didn't consider that. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're gonna center an episode around Yuki, maybe, like, focus on someone who knows Yuki almost as good as, like, anyone else. Yeah, but to start the season off with her, though, that's, that's, that's kind of, like... <laughs> like, odd, compared to, like, how season one just ended. Yeah, like... <laughs> like, you had this, like, hard, like, monster transformation shit that happened at the end of season one, and now we're, like, right into goofy antics with, like, yeah. season two's <laughs> first episode. You know, Matoko pining over Yuki like she's Helga Pataki, <laughs> while her mother is telling her to shut the fuck up. Oh my god, she really is just, like, Helga Pataki. <laughs> like, it's literally just Jamie Markey doing her best Helga impression. Like, it's very, like, poetic in her voice when she's pining over Yuki. Oh, she really is yeah. just like that, All all yeah. she's missing is, like, a heart-shaped locket. And a dude in glasses to punch. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I do like that they, this season, going forward, does give some time for, like, the uh, the lesser-known characters, too. And, like, we see more of that as the season goes on. Mm -hmm. 
And also, like, that was something we got a bit in the season one where we got to see the backstories of uh, Hanachan and Nuochan, which we didn't get to see in the original anime. Right. So, meanwhile, it comes to the, around that time in uh, every teenager's life where they got to start thinking about the future, you know? You get to a point where it's like, high school's almost over, you're about to enter adulthood, quote-unquote adulthood, you're still a teenager, technically. But, like, what are you going to do? Go to college? Get a job? Get married? Well, what's, what's your big plans here going forward? You know, big change is coming, and it's uh, time to get ahead of that. And someone who's dealing with all that incoming change is, of course, my boy Kyo here. You know, everything surrounding Kyo this season is like, it was kind of the biggest thing I was really looking forward to the most. Like, after you after you ended off like that, I'm just like, okay, what do you do with him next? Like, what is going to be, you know, Kyo's story going forward? And, uh, you know, how does he change as a person? How does he change with, like, relationships with other people? You know, what's going to happen between him and Toru? Like, these were the biggest questions for me going forward with the season. Right, because he, he doesn't really seem like a character who really goes at life with a plan of any kind like n- not so much so as with like yuki although they also do interesting stuff with yuki here as well mm-hmm. but yeah kyo uh, it's 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 interesting to see where they uh, take him in the season yeah though like with kyo it kind of feels like him thinking about the future is something that like he really can't do because of you know because of the curse because of the him being the cat in the zodiac mm-hmm. like it seems like he's not really guaranteed a future here but no, this this whole segment with all the characters actually like considering their futures, it, it fits very well with like where the themes are going with fruits, fruits Basket at this point in the series. You know, and you got some fun stuff, you know, with like uh, Uochan and Hanchan just kind of jokingly talking about their future, and also we got Toru saying like how she immediately wants to go straight into the workforce and support herself. You know, like that was kind of her dream for the longest time. Mm-hmm. But uh, with uh, Kyo, it's just uh, up in the air with him really. But, uh, you know, there's someone in, in his life that does see that he could have some big change going forward, that he could actually have a great future, and that's uh, Kazuma, his master, which uh, he was great to see again. I do I do really like Kazuma Soma. Oh, yeah. Kazuma's, Kazuma's great. Like, <laughs> really good dad He's, to Kyo, who really needs that. You know, we talked about a good dad last time with a Kotetsu. Kazuma is also should be in the conversation of good anime dads. Yeah, he's, he's a very good anime dad. You know, he's very, su- very kind, very supportive. You know, he's someone who believes in Kyo, like Toru. Like, those are the two people in his life that really believe in him. And I, had, and I had to remind, remind myself, too, voiced by... Damien Clark. That, that that was, like, a weird one to see, like, re-see again. I yeah. had to be reminded of that. Perfect like, sell. Yeah, Handsome Jack. And handsome Jack. <laughs> it's hard to imagine him yeah. <laughs> as playing a kind role. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in Borderlands, he's, like, an asshole who insults you. Yeah, and, and like, Cell, too, is also just, like, absolutely, like, irredeemably evil. Psychotic murderer who, like, sucks the life out of people, literally. Wants to be the perfect life form. <laughs> and you got Kazuma here, who's just, like, who just wants to look out for his dear boy and wants what's best for him. You know, Kazuma Somo isn't gonna, like, spend some time, you know, looking for Android 17 and 18 to, like, make it get to his perfect form. Yeah, Damian Clark, he has really good range. Yeah, he does. Though, you know, it's nice to, nice to have, for Kyo to have a really good dad. Unfortunately, we meet his actual dad, who is a real piece of shit. Yeah, a real piece of work, this guy. Like, we get the scene where, like, he and Cosmo talk about Kyo, and it's actually pretty fucking rough. Where how Kyo's biological dad refers to his own son as something that's inhuman, you know, calling him stuff like it, thing, monster, demon. Like, he sees his son as nothing but human, just this beast here. And of course, the, the 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 dead mother is kind of at the center of it all. Yeah, he blames Kyo for the death of his wife and Kyo's mother. Like he blames him one hundred percent, 
And it, it's it's really awful just to hear him say these things about his his own son right here, his own flesh and blood. Like you, you knew it was gonna be bad that like he he was gonna have some kind of rough relationship with his dad, but you didn't know like just how bad it was gonna be. Yeah, and he also brings up something that's uh, really important to Kyo as a character and to the story that uh, once he graduates, he's going to be locked up. We get into further detail later on, but uh, that's something that kind of hangs over Kyo and the series going forward. Like this is all part of being cursed with the cat spirit. And we also did see a bit of that in uh, season one with uh, Cosmo's grandfather. The, right, the it was implied there. Yeah, so it doesn't look good for someone who has the cat spirit. But, you know, good guy Cosmo, he stands up for Kyo, you know, acknowledging that he has changed for the better and that he's only going to get better from here on out because he has him and he has Toru. And he actually has a really great line right here where he says, you're no real parent of his, so you'll never understand. He is my son, and I will keep him safe. Ah, uh, that's ah, that's good. <laughs> He's dadding it up right here. Mm. <laughs> and uh, later on, speaking of which, uh, Kyo and Toru have like this little uh, nice heart to heart where they talk about the future, and you know, kind of the the lingering doubts come with it. You know, you can have all these plans with the future, but it's not really guaranteed. Like stuff can happen that can kind of change that a bit. And you know, like uh, Toru starts to realize that, and it's actually kind of uh, kind of emotional for her. You know, just like thinking about a future that's not guaranteed and realizing that oh, the Somas. Are their futures guaranteed? Because all of their lives are in the hands of the head of the table, Akito. Like, they hold the keys to their future right there. And they can't have a future unless Akito says so. Which, if you know Akito, they're not going to say so. Yeah. And it understandably overwhelms her a bit. Like, we get, it's kind of like the big first emotional beat to the first, to the uh, second season right here. Shikure is able to pop in and give her some uh, good advice, you know. It's good to think about the future, you know. But you really got to focus on what's in front of you right now. He actually has like this good analogy where like you're doing laundry. You have a big mountain of laundry in front of you. It can seem overwhelming, but you just start with like what's in front of you right now. Just keep going with that. And before you know it, you're done. It's actually not a bad analogy. <laughs> no, try not to, and also try not to stress about it too much. You know, take breaks once in a while. You know, do some self-care. Mm-hmm. But again, it's like, ah, got some good advice from this guy right here. I know I like Shigure for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> he may be a little shady in places, but he, he's got he's got a good mind and a bit of a heart, too. Yeah. But uh, we get to some fun moments here. Like, I want to talk about uh, some nice uh, brother bonding time between uh, Yuki and Ayame. Oh, yeah. There's a very good episode for between these two. And by the way, I just can't get enough of Chris Sabat just hamming it up as Ayame. Like, he is so good. Because mm, he, cause he just loves... Because Ayame just loves his brother so much. And he always just... He doesn't so much arrive, he just kind of, like, bursts into the scene anytime he shows up. He just goes, Oh, Yuki, my little brother, how I love you his, so much. His dramatic flair is very infectious. Yeah. <laughs> and Yuki's just there to kind of sandbag him, going like, What the hell are you doing here? It's it's a good comedic pairing. It really yeah. is. And so Ayame invites Yuki and Toru to come visit his shop, which turns out to be a clothes shop that caters to the fantasies of men. So a lot of outfits, like maid outfits, nurse outfits, wedding dresses, you know the kind. It feels like one of those shops where, like, on the face on the face of it, it's a it's a regular old tailor shop, but like, <laughs> yeah, all the real all the all the best customers like know what it's really for. Oh yeah, they'll they'll keep hush hush there, you know. <laughs> they they know discretion. You know, this feels kind of like a, a place you would go in like a side quest in a Yakuza game to like get outfits for like a stripper or something. <laughs> <laughs> it does kind of feel like that. <laughs> and uh, here we actually meet uh, Ayame's assistant, uh, Mine Karame, played here by Monica Rial. In the original, she was actually played by Amber Cotton. So this episode, even though it was in season two, actually was an episode in the original anime. 
Yeah, that's kind of weird how they kind of switch that around. Yeah, they did. And again, it is such a bit. It is such a good episode for IMA that like it's it's like how can you? They make me. I wouldn't blame them if they thought at the time. How can we not include this in season one? Oh yeah, like in the original season, they they shifted a lot of the manga chapters around in the original anime. And chronologically too, it's it's an easy one. It's an easy little snippet of the series to fit into season one. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't really play in chronologically too heavily. Into oh anything. yeah, it's kind of its own thing. Like uh, in the original, this uh, episode uh, took place after the episode where Toru was sick, but before she met uh, Hiro for the first time. Mm, right, right. Yeah, it's a fairly self-contained episode. And also, since the uh, original anime is a bit more comedy-focused than uh, the reboot is, and this is pretty much a fun episode, so they kind of want to get this one in there, too. Though, uh, speaking of comedy, we kind of get a lot of uh, brotherly shenanigans right here between these two. Like, it's... I really do love Yuki and Ayame's relationship, where Ayame just tries so hard to be a loving big brother and yuki just kind of sandbags him most of the time mm. yeah it's 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 very cute it's very nice to see it's very funny and kind of cute and i mentioned this in the last podcast but uh chris sabbat and eric vale they these guys can never escape each other when it comes to playing <laughs> off each other yes <laughs> you know whether it's like all my tomoro shigaraki zoro and sanji vegeta and trunks they're always at each other's throats yeah it's like do you ever think they just look at each other and go and like why can I never escape you? <laughs> or just like they do a role and it's all like, it's all like oh you again. I mean, when you build up a rapport like that after so long, it like you know you like it it does it definitely come it definitely pulls through when you're performing in anime. Absolutely, even when you're not performing in the same room, you still have that natural chemistry. Mm-hmm. So things start to get actually a little bit serious where they uh, talk about their uh, parents, uh, specifically Yuki's strained relationship with uh, their mother, and we actually do get to see a bit of their mother right here. How she is very very controlling and very borderline abusive towards Yuki, you know? Yeah, but this is where we actually see, like, what like what was uh, what was IMA actually like in the past, though? And, yes, shockingly, he was very distant. Yeah, like, there was a moment we do see where Yuki tries to go to IMA for help, and then IMA just kind of, like, you know, he grabs onto his, his arm, and then he just kind of brushes him away. Yeah, once upon a time, he was not this happy-go-lucky, like, flamboyant guy that he once was. He was actually, like, very distant and, like, you know, didn't want to get involved with, like, what was going on with Yuki or, you know, didn't really care at one point to really be a proper brother. He was kind of more like, eh, like, I don't really want to have anything to do with that. That's outside my sphere, you know? And, like, yeah, and, like, in this episode, we do see him reckoning with how that affected Yuki over the years. And it really helps to flesh out Ayame beyond the uh, the initial the the initial joke character that he uh, appeared to be. Yeah, like we now have some like context to like why he acts like this. Like he feels bad for not being there for him when they were kids. So. Now, like he actually wants to make things up now. Yeah, but like he's making up for lost time, and then just involves him just being like a bit too overbearing and very over the top that it kind of kind of pushes Yuki away even more even though he wants to get closer to him. Like yeah, now you can now you kind of understand him a little bit better. Like this this is such a good episode for him. Like I really It's lo- his best ep- it's his be- it's his episode of the It season. really is and like I really love that we finally got like a, a reasoning for like why he acts acts like this, you know. It's not just because he's a big goof. Like he's just really trying hard to just like make up for not being there for him when they were kids. Yeah, it's it's very it's very it's very strong character stuff for the two. Mm-hmm. You know, Ayame, he believes that uh, Yuki doesn't need a partner he doesn't need he doesn't need a friend he needs his older brother <laughs> uh, missy cody oh 
But Ayame advises that, you know, regardless of what uh, their mother thinks, uh, Yuki should follow his own feelings and that he's not a tool for others. And in the end, uh, you know, both brothers acknowledge that, uh, you know, they may be different, but they're still brothers and we'll accept each other and we'll always be there for each other, you know? And it's, it's very nice. Yeah, like, bros, bros. <laughs> there's, there's also a very cute moment here where, like, uh, while this is going on, Toru is actually trying on some of the outfits uh, with uh, Mine, and uh, she comes in with, like, a very cute dress, and Yuki actually acknowledges that it's cute, and it's, it's very sweet. Yeah, yeah, very nice. And then Aime is just all like, huh, my work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Yuki had his first brush with fantasy. <laughs> but uh, now that we uh, really on got introduced to some uh, new characters that were hinted at the end of Season 1, let's meet another. In fact, let's meet a Soma. <laughs> So, uh, our favorite cowboy, Hatsuharu, is having uh, some relationship issues. To put it bluntly, he got dumped. Uh, poor boy. <laughs> <laughs> yep, just trashing a, ra- trashing a room at school. He's gotta be reined in by his family. Yep, he goes into full-on dark Haru mode, and it's, like, even darker than he's been before. Yeah, it's it's actually looking pretty bad. Like, like he's like... broken some windows here, and it's like, it looks completely trashed, like there was a fight in there. Yeah, so you're thinking, like, oh, what could actually get to him to cause the trigger this inside him? And it turns out the person that dumped him was Isuzu Soma, a.k.a. Rin, played here by Brina Palencia. Uh, she did not appear in the original anime, so this is actually the first time we get to see her in animated form right here. Oh! Yep, they, they never acknowledged Rin in the original anime, so... This yeah, is she, there true. would have been no chance for her to pop up. No, no time for her. So yeah, after going on his uh, Dark Haru Rampage, he opens up to Yuki about this. And uh, Yuki is actually the first person to hear about uh, Haru being in a relationship with Rin. Like, they were actually dating for quite a while right now, but she ended up breaking it off with him, just telling him to fuck off. And Yuki's the first person to hear about this. They've never told anyone about their relationship before. And those two, and those two are tight. They, they are tight. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's serious if, like, Haru didn't, like, tell Yuki about that. You can also, like, imply why that had to uh, break off this relationship. See what happened to Hattori back in Season 1 when he fell in love and how that ended. So now, Rin has decided to break off things between the two of them. She didn't give him a reason, but uh, she just only said she never wanted to see Haru again. And later on, Yuki visits the Soma estate to check in on Haru, which, uh, you know, because to show how much he cares about him, you know, he's, he's worried about his buddy right here. And the fact that he's willing to go to the estate, a place that he never wants to go, to just check in on him, like, that proves how much he cares about his, about his friend here. And the two actually have, like, a, a nice conversation about this whole thing. You know, Haru tells Yuki that he's determined to get back together with Rin. You know, she may say that she doesn't want to be with him right now, but if he feels that there's something more to this. Like, she, there's something that she's not telling him right here. Yeah, Haru, you can't just bury your face in video games all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to confront this head on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what was he? I think he was playing, like, some kind of, like, JRPG. Yeah, it looked kind of like a Dragon Quest thing, sort of. Yeah, so, so, a little something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, Yuki kind of comes in thinking that Haru's going to be, like, a mess, and he's all like, oh, you're just playing video games? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I'm on, like, the Sixth Palace in Persona 5 yeah. Royal. <laughs> Like, dude, Haru, I know it's better than sex, but <laughs> you, you you can't have that as a replacement. Yeah, like, I know you're going to spend a lot of time on, like, the final, on um, Okumura's palace, because that final boss is bullshit, but, like, you know, you gotta, you gotta need to spend your time elsewhere. Man. We've been there! Yeah. We've been there! We have been there. <laughs> and I cheesed my way through that. I'm not proud of it. <laughs> so, no, it's actually kind of a nice conversation about these two, and, you know, like, Haru... Even though he's not together with Reen right now, he's not going to stop loving her. Like, you can really, like, early on in the season, you can really feel, like, the love that he has for her and, like, how that's going to really push him forward going forward with the season. 
and it also adds a lot of uh, air mystery to Reen, which uh, we, will, we will get to later. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're going to have to put a pin in this for right now. As uh, next to the stuff with uh, Kyo that, like, I want to say the stuff with Reen is the stuff that I was always looking forward to when it comes to the season. Like, new Soma, new character with a ton of baggage, bring it on. I'm ready for it. And there are moments where I realize, okay, maybe I'm not ready for it, but I'm still ready for it. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, pin that for now. Talking about characters getting some time to shine outside of Toru and the Somas, uh, we do see that uh, Uo-chan, she's uh, finding a little someone, special someone here. Uh, she happened to meet a nice fella at her uh, convenience store job, and it almost seems like it's a uh, love at first sight here. Very much so. Like, <laughs> almost instantly. Uh, just, you know, you know, sometimes people just fall in love meeting random strangers at their uh, grocery store jobs after they kind of klutzly drop a bunch of chips in front of them. Yeah, sometimes you just make an instant rapport with someone who's nine years your senior. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that 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 was I mean I I I inevitably got hung up on that like like wow wow <laughs> not nine years older than you wow that much wow <laughs> you're 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 really going for that girl huh yep <laughs> okay okay um you do you <laughs> to piggyback off her getting her backstory in season one I did actually dig that uh, she got her own little romance angle right here. So, uh, and also, I do like the fact that uh, when she's describing this guy to, like, her friends, she kind of makes it seem like he's exactly like Toru, so, like, the only reason she's kind of into him is because he reminds her of Toru, which is kind of sweet, because she's just thinking about her all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but while they're at her cafe job, Uochan bumps into the same guy again, and the two go on a bit of a lunch date here. And we actually uh, get to know him more, as his name is uh, Kurono, played here by Ian Sinclair. And uh, while together, she kind of notices that uh, Kuruno comes off as very, uh, you know, very aloof, very airy, doesn't kind of seem to be interested in much things, but he's just, he's kind of a go-with-the-flow kind of guy. Yeah, quite a lot like Toru, but also in other ways not like Toru. Yeah, like, you know, whereas Toru does care about a lot of things, he sends the see things as a bit more trivial, you know? Like how their first two meetings were just all like, were just kind of like happenstance, you know, he just, oh, I just so happened to bump into you in this grocery store or outside your cafe job and also uh Uo-chan kind of notices that uh, his smile seems a little bit forced like you know he's just he's just kind of putting a little something on there like he's trying to hide he's kind of hiding something here yeah not so much condescension but more just like not reading the situation very well yeah and kind of like and just kind of and trivializing it to the point where it's it, it does it can come across as a little bit insulting yeah, like that's kind of his biggest flaw, where it's like, like, oh, what? It was it was nothing that you like met, that you met up with me today or something. It's like, oh, what? Do you do you treat everyone like that? Yeah, like that's kind of his biggest flaw, right there. He just kind of treat. He doesn't really know how to read the room really or express himself. Uuchan just starts to like uh, lay into him verbally because she, she thinks she's just he's just like kind of like looking down on her, being very condescending, and she just storms off from there. I mean, to be fair, it was also, like, just actually their second meeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was watching that scene, and I was like, okay, I know this is very I know this is very emotionally important to her. Like, she, she does actually, like, dig this guy, but second meetup. Like, you can't, yeah. <laughs> you can't expect this to, like, you can't expect this to, like, just, like, like set off running, like, like at the races or something. Yeah, that is, that's <laughs> true, you know. <laughs> uh, but no, he does go after her, and he does say that, you know, while he may have said those things about her, their them meeting together, he was actually genuinely happy to see to meet her for the first time. He found her charming, and he was really happy to see her again. The fact that she ran to go after him the second time actually really warmed his heart. But we do see that there are a bit of uh, some sparks between the two of them, but uh, sadly it's not meant to be, other than the obvious age gap. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, yeah, Kuruno leads in as if to uh, embrace her, but then just leaves her hanging. Stumped and confused, Uochan finds the Hanachan that uh, she will not chase after him, and uh, she's gonna let him go after her. Maybe not the smartest strategy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, again, you do you, girl. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, we do see the big reason why there can't be anything between the two of them right now. As Kuruno here, he's a Soma. And he's actually part of the Zodiac too. Mm. And he's really close to Akito. Like, he's essentially Akito's number one confidant in the Soma family. We know Akito stands on other members of the family falling in love, so that's a big uh, no-no right there. Yeah, we, we can kind of see where this is going. But it's just like, ah, come on! <laughs> yeah. After getting uh, reacclimated to the to the series right there, you know, those first five episodes, uh, we start getting into the first uh, major arc of the season right there, as it's uh, summer break time here, as it's time for some summer fun in the sun, and Momiji has uh, Toru join him, Kyo, Yuki, Haru, Kisa, and Hiro on a big trip to the family beach house. Man, I had to be reminded of, like, Momi- Mo- Momiji. <laughs> <laughs> Once I heard that, like, bratwurst-eating, like, Lederhosen <laughs> voice, <laughs> I immediately just got... In an immediate rush of happiness. Yeah. <laughs> this adorable little German blonde boy. As I'm like, oh my god, this, oh my god, this little German Lederhosen boy. <laughs> I missed you so much. And that's, and that's when I realized the season, like, as, 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 uh, as we are now being introduced to all the other, um, Zodiac members, I, I think Momi G is maybe my second, my second favorite. <laughs> he is such a good boy. <laughs> he's such a good boy. He's very, he's very innocent. Mm-hmm. Like he just, just full of love for everybody. He's, he's so and that, happy. And that voice, I never get tired of his voice. Michaela Krantz, like she nails the German accent for Momi G. Both funny and like adorable at the same time. <laughs> it's the cutest thing. <laughs> <laughs> You say as you're laughing as well, yeah. <laughs> which really hits home my point. Mm-hmm. Like this, this is such a well put. Like <laughs> you were given the prompt of a little like half German like like boy who's just like sweeter than strudel, and <laughs> like you knocked it out of the fucking park. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I like such a unique voice. Never heard it in any other anime before. I love unique shit like that. And yeah, like. I mentioned this in the last podcast. Uh, Momiji didn't have this accent in the original anime, so like this is uh, finally something they did for the uh, the reboot. Oh man, Su- such a wonderful move there. Mm, great move. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in heaven every time he talks. Ah uh, yeah. <laughs> Though before the trip, Toro needs to finish her summer homework. By the way, homework over school breaks bullshit. I know, like it should never happen ever. Like don't don't assign work over breaks. They're called breaks for a reason. And you know people are gonna skimp out on it. You know, you know the kids are gonna like procrastinate. Why would you do it? Yeah, it's just like keep them busy. It's like they they go to school in Japan. They go to school like six days a week. Give them some a chance to relax for a month. I had that same reaction in like the opening of Kingdom Hearts two. And like at the time, I didn't know that that was like a common thing in Japan. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> a project over summer? Yeah. <laughs> I think that was maybe attempted on me once, like a book, like a book report or something. And like I fucking hated it. <laughs> I think I remember something from, like, our high school where we had to do, like, a big project over the summer that we show at the end of senior year, and it's, and it's like, I didn't do it. Yeah, like, I, I also didn't work on, I, I, I like, I, I probably barely worked on it. Yeah, like, I just said, oh, I'll get to it later. And it's like, that's the issue with assigning work over breaks. Yeah, like, oh, just don't, just don't try it. Yeah. So, Yuki helps Toru with her homework, and, uh, during this, he brings up the blue baseball cap that she has in her room. 
You know, the same one that uh, he saw back in season one and was really surprised to see it. That's another moment that I was looking forward to with this new season. I'm just like, get to the hat. I want to see more about the hat. Oh, to leave people hanging on that thread for all those years. Oh, in the original anime, they never talked about the hat. The hat wasn't a part of the original anime. Oh, man. <laughs> so it's like, even if they got more, what were they going to do? All, all the things this new series improved upon. <laughs> <laughs> so he asks her about this, you know, why she kept it despite not remembering anything about the boy who gave it to her. And she says it's a precious memory to her, you know. And Yuki seems to know more about this than he lets on. But uh, before he can say anything, uh, he's interrupted by Momiji. So another thing you're going to have to pin for later here. As it's time to head to the beach house for a beach episode. Or beach episodes, because this takes place over a few episodes. Not even Fruits Basket is immune. No, they are not. <laughs> but no, they have some fun at the beach, and uh, Toru just having the best time of her life swimming around is very cute. I mean, I understand the appeal of the beach episode, you know. Get everyone in a nice casual location, you know. Like, you know, spirits are a bit freer. You know, everyone's wearing, like, swim swimwear and stuff. So, like, you know, there's there's a precedent to, like, cut loose, you know, and... Not take the and like have some fun mm-hmm. and and yeah it, it works it's it's like there's a reason why these kinds of episodes keep coming around in anime and uh, <laughs> not always done well uh, often sometimes done very badly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like for fruits basket like they 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 use it to, they use it to a good advantage here also I do like how for uh, this trip they actually bring in all three kid somas in there you know Momiji Hiro and Kisa. I mean, with a beach house owned by the Soma family, yeah, you should invite in some of the other Somas here. Mm-hmm. Especially the youngins here. Yeah. And uh, early on, we actually do see get to have a little bit of development for uh, Hiro here. As, uh, you know, he realizes he needs to learn how to not be so much of a so much of a brat, so much of an instigator, because, like, he just has, like, this issue. And that's actually a thing that kind of carries with him throughout the rest of the season and going into next season. You just got to stop being so angry and lashing out at people so often. I know. Little kids always got to go at people's throats. (laughs) Yeah. You know, he goes after Toru over, like, why does she always carry around a picture of her mom all the time? And Kisa actually calls him out on this, you know, like, Hiro-chan, what what the hell, man? Oh, what? Toru, is your mom dead? I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't know about your dead mother. Your dead mother buried in the ground. (laughs) Was she dead, daddy? I know. He's kind of a little shit in that regard. He's a a little fucker. Ugh. I still love him, though. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, by the way, uh, we see that uh, carrying that picture around is actually really more important to Toru than uh, you initially think. Like, in the first season in the original anime, you know, it's like, it's a nice reminder of her mother. But, like, going into season two, we actually do see it's, like, a lot more important than you'd think. Like, there's actually really, like, a tough scene later that night where she's kind of, like, borderline going into a panic attack about that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually pretty raw. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good scene. And, yeah, very sad to see. You know, while she maintains this uh, cheery, positive attitude, Toru still kind of has that lingering, bigger trauma about her mother's death that she just kind of keeps bottled up inside. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that uh, she never knew her dad growing up, so, like, uh, Kyoko is the only mother she's ever known. Yep, yep. Didn't even, didn't even know him. Nope, really. he died when she was a baby. And uh, it's also, like, the same with the hat, you know. it's She's very sentimental, you know, like, keeps the hat because it's a precious memory, keeps a photo of her mom because it's a precious memory, and, like, you lose that... You kind of lose those memories. At least that's how she thinks. Mm-hmm. So back with Hiro, he actually uh, gets some good news here. His parents, they're expecting. Hey. He's going to be a big brother. <laughs> <laughs> so he's especially got to learn to not be a little shit. It's also almost like dra- dropped casually too. Like, yeah, like he's, he's kind of casual about it. Like, yeah, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a little brother or sister. Yeah, like he's on the phone at the beach and he's all like talking to his mom, going like, "Are you okay? 
oh, okay, I'll, I'll see you back home. And they're like, oh, Hiro, what was that? Oh, my mom, she's uh, pregnant right now. And it's like, what? You're going to be a brother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just the way that kid is. He's always trying to be, like, so much older than what he, what he seems. He tries to act mature, and I'm just like, bro, you're 10. <laughs> like, dude, you can jump around and, like, be excited for, your, have some fun. for your new sibling. <laughs> yeah, you know, Kisa's happy for you. You know, you want to make her happy. <laughs> and also, a uh, bit of lore here. Uh, Soma's make a point that uh, since all the Zodiac spirits have been born at, at this point, this new Soma won't be cursed, so they don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. So I do like that they uh, add some more rules to how the curse works. Right, right. That's that's also good to clarify. And uh, they do celebrate this good news here by uh, splitting watermelons, but they don't have like a batter stick, so they just do it with their bare hands. <laughs> like it starts off with Haru just doing it with his bare hands, going on like, congratulations on your new baby hero. <laughs> and then Toru t- tries to attempt it, and she like, <laughs> she almost hurts her hand. Yeah. <laughs> And she's, like, crying, but they're all, all like, is she crying because she hurt her hand, or is she crying because she couldn't split it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's very nice. Yeah. <laughs> and she actually brings up an old story about uh, her and Kyoko trying to, to uh, split watermelons, but it ends badly with them breaking stuff all around <laughs> their house and everything. So later on, Shikure comes by to bring the other Somas, minus Kyo, to a gathering with Akito. And uh, later that night, Toru goes outside for a bit and runs into Yuki as uh, he decided to not go see Akito here. He went on a bit of a walk. And we get a really, really nice scene with uh, Toru and Yuki here at night where Yuki indirectly reveals that he was the boy that gave Toru the hat when they were kids. Oh, that that, that connection there. Uh... I'll splice you in a bit right here. Miss Honda? What are you doing out here? Yuki! Thank goodness, I'm so glad to see you. Oh, are you lost again? Uh, no, I'm not. So, um, why are you out here? Me? I just went for a walk. There were some things I wanted to think about. I guess I lost track of time. Let's go back. not going to visit Akito? Uh. Uh. Yuki, look! They're shooting stars! A whole bunch of them! would change if I opened the lid. There are things that I need to do. Things I should have done sooner. It's simple. So simple. But that's exactly what makes it difficult. You did it? You opened the lid? Yes, thanks to Akito. And to you. Because you listened. You stood by me. You had faith. Accepted me for who I am, even when I was weak. 
And you held on to that memory. Treasured it all these years later. Thank you for that. You were lost, and I saved you. I can't tell you how much that meant. I'd been told for so long that I was useless. But that day, for the first time, I felt what it was like to be needed. I don't think there's any way you could know how deeply that chance encounter affected me. You don't see it. Don't realize that you're the one who's always saving me. You share it all. Your kindness. Your warmth. Your irrepressible joy. You don't hold back any of them. That's why I won't give up. Or give in. I'll keep trying. Fighting. And believing that there's hope. But... All of that's good, right? Smooth and white. Why do you look so sad? Because... You... like the sky. I'm sad because... <laughs> I don't know what I would do without you. He helped her find her way back home when she was lost, and he felt so happy that he was needed. Like, that was a big moment in his young life right there. You know, in a life that's so shrouded in darkness, whether it's coming from his mom or Akito, he's just so grateful that there was a little light in that darkness, that light being Toru. And the fact that she kept the hat for so long, you know, held on to that memory, just makes him happier. Like, you know, she doesn't know that it's him, but he's happy to know that she's still thinking about him after so long, ever since she was a little girl. Ah, the old childhood connection trick. Childhood friends, baby. <laughs> well, I mean, just pass, just passing, passing association. Yeah, but not meeting. That was one time meeting when they were younger, but reuniting years later. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful way to end off that scene right there, where Yuki actually kisses Toru on the forehead, but then rests his head on her shoulder and starts crying, sheds a little tear. You know, he wants to express her gratitude to Toru, but it's sad because he can't really bring himself to tell the truth about their first meeting he doesn't want to yet he wants to wait for the right moment and then in that moment you're swinging towards yuki like, sorry kyo <laughs> i was like team kyo but then i'm like uh maybe team yuki uh, I, I was sw i was switching back and forth this entire season oh man like <laughs> back in the original anime i was firmly team kyo but here i was just flip-flopping back and forth right right because like season one ends like so so well on like kyo and his and his character development but like this season two i would say has a bit more has a bit more on yuki's end oh god i would yeah. say like season one was all about kyo this season two is kind of like really about yuki yeah really really zeroing in on like what makes what makes him yuki and like the scene in general it's so good it's like one of the biggest scenes in this early part of season two like, the fact that, uh, you know, there are no traditional end credits for this episode where this happens, and they play the credits over that scene knows that they knew they had to make time for the scene and get it perfect. Yeah, they, they really had to. And it also kind of really shows the whole disparity between uh, 
you know, the Somas being around Toru and them being around Akito, where Toru brings them joy, inspires hope, Akito just makes everyone anxious, and their relationship with the other Somas are just very controlling and abusive. Like, when we see the other Somas meeting with Akito, they're just very, they're just like walking on eggshells. They just don't talk, they don't look at each other or anything, they're just all like, can we get this over with already? I don't want to be here. I mean, yeah, even as a viewer, like, knowing what Akito is capable of and capable of getting away with in season one, like, you you, 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 you really clench your asshole whenever you see Akito show up. And some of them actually know firsthand, like, yeah, I remember, like, Kisa, she felt the brunt of Akito's abuse back then. Mm-hmm. So another thing that uh, shows this, like, you know, this, like, disparity between, like, Akito and uh, Toru is... Uh, when they, uh, when they return from visiting Akito, like, they immediately run to Toru. Like, the kids just immediately, like, go after her. Just all like, Toru, I'm so happy to see you! You know, Momiji jumps into her arms even though hugging her turns him into a little bunny. Like, he's willing to take that risk. He just wants to be in her presence. <laughs> so, later on, Toru runs into the forest after, uh, chasing after a piece of laundry. And there she finds a horse. A horse, of course. <laughs> ah, this is actually Rin, because she's the horse in the Zodiac. We actually get to see the horse now. And th- and then yet again, I had that moment where I was like thinking, like, wait, Rin, Haru, romantically involved Zodiac's family. Oh, I need to see. Th- I got to see some kind of family chart again. <laughs> this is starting to feel wrong again. Yeah, there is the thing where it's all like they're all cousins, kind of once or twice removed by marriage and everything like that. So. Uh, well, I don't know. The the implication is always seems to be that like they're all very like the, the family is very big. Yeah, it's so incredibly big. Yeah, it's it's very big. They have their own massive estate. So yeah, it's like the entire Soma family, like not spread out across Japan, but presumably like all concentrated in this one compound. So yeah, a lot of dis a lot of distant family members, but like. <laughs> Family is still family. Yeah, like, it, it's kind of like the uh, the Samoan dynasty in wrestling, you know, the Anuais and the Johnson family. Like, it's kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking, is it like the Samoan dynasty here? Or are we talking more like Makondo from, like, 100 Years of Solitude? <laughs> I just want to know how, like, how... how how correct am I in feeling uncomfortable about some of these relationships? Yeah. <laughs> that, that is something that a lot of people have to reckon with when getting into the series. <laughs> I almost don't want to know because <laughs> I, I'm more blissful existing in, like, uh, ignorance for yeah, this. Just uh, pretend they have different last names. <laughs> or maybe it's Soma, but spelled differently. I mean, you know we can't do that. Nah. <laughs> I'm kind of at the point where it's like, maybe maybe I should just should not know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss here. Ugh. Though, uh, by the way, Reen, horse girl, I guess this makes her uh, technically an Umamusume. Fuck off. Just <laughs> go there. Uh, go save, on. That for, save that for your fan art commissions. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, better friend JP would love this show knowing that there's a horse girl in it. <laughs> like, Dude, horse girl. Give it a watch. Ah, that's how you get him into it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Rian actually walked all the way to the beach house by herself and ended up transforming due to exhaustion. Though she uh, still has a little bit of energy to throw a kick at Toru that uh, she barely dodges, thanks to Yuki being there. Toru was in danger of being like uh, Aaron in Jackass 3 <laughs> with uh, the donkey. <laughs> yeah, Toru, you you almost became a bit for Jackass. Yeah, <laughs> just the... Uh... You don't see any of the other Somas back there kind of mocking her, shaking a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Getting bopped in the face by a horse. 
I don't. Need, I, I I can almost even imagine the other Selmas just like reacting, like just popping off like the jackass screw. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Now I actually now I want to commission that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's your homework for any of the artists out there. <laughs> Fuck that! I'll just actually commission that myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so why is Rain here? Yuki expects that uh, it's to see Haru, but uh, she denies it. And uh, she storms off in a huff here. You know, she's got a lot of issues to deal with, and uh, Yuki feels it would be best to just leave her alone for now. She'll be back. Yeah, very independent uh, to a fault, that Rin is. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll get into this later, but uh, Brina Palencia, I really like her as Rin. Like, she is the perfect voice for her. Mm, Yeah, she is extremely good as Rin here. So we'll get back to her later, but uh, let's let's, uh, bring things back to Kyo right now. Uh, so around this time, he goes through some uh, pretty big change. He starts to come to a major realization that was years in the making for people who only watch the anime, and also yours, yours truly. It starts with Akito requesting Kyo's presence, as uh, this is new. Akito has never called on him before, you know, being the cat, he's always seen as the outcast of the Soma family. They pretty much bring in Kyo just to taunt him. You know, he, he can't escape his fate, he can never beat Yuki. Akito will never stop calling him a monster, and since he can't beat Yuki, Akito will just lock him up for the rest of his life. And we actually do get this new spin on uh, Kyo and Yuki's rivalry. It was just a bet set up by Akito, you know, telling Kyo, hey, if you beat the rat, maybe you can get into the family right now. You know, you gotta hate him. Rat's the, your biggest rival. I'm sure, I'm sure Kyo's combative personality probably played a large part in actually making that deal to begin with. Oh yeah, Akito was probably thinking all like, Oh, this idiot's easy. I'll be—he's like putty in my hands. I'll be able to get him, get these two to fight. Yeah, he's got some spunk. I can maybe use him for some fun. In the first season in the original anime, Kyo did say that uh, beating Yuki would allow him to be accepted as a member of the family and of the Zodiac. But you know, back then it kind of seemed more like it's a personal goal, like more like wishful thinking. But here, it's kind of like, okay, this was actually set up by Akito. This is a bet that they, that they had here. Like there is a lot riding on this, actually. Yeah, <laughs> like it's it's an even bigger deal than you think. More so than just a simple rivalry. And to twist the knife even more here, Akito brings up Kyo's mother and how she died. As she committed suicide because she couldn't handle having the, a child cursed by the Zodiac. And Kyo's been blamed as if he was the one who actually killed her. Like, not just by his own father, but by Akito and by the rest of the family. Like, And Akito's just digging that knife in, twisting it, saying, like, you killed your mother, you fucking monster. And na- now, now a lot of his personality is starting to make sense. Like, like, oh, this this is why he's so, like, defensive all the time. Even more knife-twisting right here. Akito brings up Toru and calls her a monster for being able to put up with Kyo. You know, showing kindness to a monster can only mean you're a monster, too. This is what causes Kyo to finally talk back to Akito right here. An impressive girl, isn't she? She's practically a saint, or an angel. Or it could be... she's a monster. (laughs) Come on, she's just a little too perfect. And that kind of perfection seems wrong. In fact, one might even say it's monstrous. Toru Honda. Most people would run screaming after seeing you in that form. But she didn't even flinch. No, you're wrong. How can you even say that? You don't know what happened. You couldn't, because you weren't there to see it. So I don't care what you've heard. Nothing about her is monstrous. Nothing. You... 
You don't know how scared she was that night. So don't try and tell me she wasn't. Her hands were shaking. Her voice was trembling. Her skin was cold to the touch. And her face pale with fear. Even so, she stood her ground and refused to run away from Stop me. Stop talking. That's right. She was terrified, shut but up, she didn't run. She stayed. Ah! She held on to me the whole time. She must have known that if she let go, I would never return. If I slipped through her hands, I'd be gone, and no one would be able to bring me back. She didn't erase all my pain or offer to solve all my problems. She didn't fix everything that was broken. But that's not what I needed anyway. Not really. What mattered most was that she stayed. The littlest things make her happy. She's always smiling, always finding something to laugh about. She's selfless, constantly giving more than she gets in return, never realizing she deserves so much more than what she has. She thinks she's stupid, a burden, that there's nothing good about her. It's a waste of time to think about what you might lose in life, and so the traveler paid no mind to such things. My classmates might think that makes her an idiot, but I don't agree. I think she's kind. So, Yuki, Kyo, what do you think? What does your heart tell you? Kyo! Kyo! I love you. I love you so much. Just as you are. Kyo thinks about how good of a person Toru is, and he comes to a realization. A big, big realization that I was so happy to hear. That was music to my ears when I first watched this. He loves her. I mean, he loves her so much. He, he thinks it to himself, but like, yeah, he finally just he finally comes to that conclusion. I've been waiting to hear those words for a long, long time. Like to actually hear it confirmed. Kyo loves Toru. I mean, he still has to de he still has to deny it to Akito. Like even Akito uh, calls out Kyo, like, "Hey, do you love her?" And, and of course, Kyo has to say, "No, no, no, I don't love her." Because you know, Akito in love can't have any of that. No, but he's thinking it now. He is thinking it. He's thinking it, and it's like the first time I watched this episode, I actually started tearing up a bit. I'm just like, finally. I mean, yeah, it took all those years to really hear, and finally. Yeah, and also like, hats off to Jerry Jewell too. Like he really knocked the scene out of the park. And I'm sure he was relieved to finally say those words, you know? Again, going back to, like, convention questions, he's probably asking, like, hey, what do you think of Toru? And, like, now he can probably say, like, oh, yeah, Kyo loves her. It's it's perfect. It's it's canon right yeah. now. Also, I just love, like, that's the thing that sets Kyo off to kind of talk back to Akito, you know? Being called pathetic and weak, never being able to beat Yuki. He's all like, no, stop, don't do that. I heard it before. Yeah, and then, you know, your mother killed herself because of you. And he's like, nah, nah, nah. And then, you know, Toru Honda's a freak for, like, caring about you. And he's like, you shut your fucking mouth. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I like that. I like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, you don't mess, you, you don't talk talk smack about Toru. You don't know her. <laughs> yeah, while well, I'm around here. 
But in the end, like you said, Akito puts Kyo in his place and forces him to deny his love of Toru. And, you know, Akito is here to remind Kyo who's in control, you know. Toru Honda won't love you like I love you, basically. Mm-hmm. The scene's really good right here. It's really good. Yeah, it's it's a really good it's it's a really good scene around this like midpoint in the series. Afterwards, we get an even bigger revelation here. As uh, Kyo gets back to the beach house, he goes looking for Toru and starts to remember some things. Remember some words of encouragement from Kazuma about protecting the little things in life so that one day they may be they may bloom into something even greater. And he also remembers something else. He remembers a promise he made to someone. Someone with a little girl who she wants him to one day look out for. That someone is Kyoko. Kyo met Toru's mother when he was just a little kid. And they made a promise together. Like, holy shit, they know each other. Like, ah, that's, that's, that's big. Both Kyo and Yuki, when they were little kids, somehow had this connection to Toru long before they actually officially met. I know, it's, it's been there all this time. All this time, and it's like, ah, that's so good. I like it. It's like, ah, oh, really really can't see, wait to see where it goes. Like, this whole summer vacation arc in Season 2 is actually, it's pretty much giving me everything I ever wanted from a Season 2 of Fruits Basket. Yeah, this 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 entire, like, little beach arc, like, does give does give us a lot of section, satisfaction in showing us uh, relationships and interactions we haven't really seen uh, expressed thus far in the series. You know, we get new somas, we get revelations about Toru's relationships with Kyo and Yuki, and, you know, Kyo actually knowing Kyoko, so, like, it's it's a lot of big stuff that... We never got in the original anime, and now we're getting it here right now. It's all paced out very well, too. <laughs> yeah, incredibly well. <laughs> like, they maximize their 25 episodes for this season. Mm, they really do. And there's still more to come. Like, we're only scratching the surface of what season two does. So later that night, back with Akito, they can't seem to get the thought of Toru out of their head. So they sneak out and go to the beach house to see her. And we just get a scene, this confrontation between Akito and Toru, and it's so fucking tense. Very, very tense, very uncomfortable. <laughs> like, it starts off bad where poor Momiji tries to get in the way, and fucking Akito just decks him yeah, in the face. Momiji takes a fucking hit to the takes a fucking hit to the face. Like, you you never would expect that to happen. Like he, like this little boy and he It, just it gets... had to be the sweetest Soma. <laughs> yeah. And it's kinda graphic looking where you just see a big right hook and just Momiji's just head just whiplashes back. And then it hits you as a viewer, viewer like, fuck, ooh. Yeah. Like, ooh. Holy shit. And then Toru arrives, and then Akito brings her in close to lay things down for her. And, and finally, Toru finally understands what, like, what she's dealing with with Akito. Yeah, she only had a brief meeting with them back in season one during that scene with uh, Yuki during the new school term. Akito really makes their presence known to Toru right here. Yeah, here you go. This is the real Akito. They tell her to back off and stop thinking she's so special. Kyo will be locked up after graduation, Yuki and the other Somas will be back home, where they belong, and you're not going to be part of that. Soma family belongs to them, and nothing is going to take that away. And then Toru, she's been kind of thinking like, okay, she's met all the Somas right now, at least most of them, but there was one Zodiac member that she hadn't met, and she thought, oh, Akito, they might be the rooster. But nah, Akito's not the rooster. Because there's one more figure in the uh, Zodiac legend she didn't account for. Akito is the god in the story. The Zodiac animals, they don't turn on their god. Yeah, it is. It is heavily. It is heavily implied during uh, these revelations in season two that like the Zodiacs, like they they cannot. There, there's actually something magically compelling them to like constantly go back to like constantly obey Akito. 
Like, there's there's something more beyond it. Like, uh, they often use the, the phrase, a bond of blood. Like, that's what's keeping them, like, bound to Akito. Like, they can't escape them. Like, it's something that exists for good or for bad in the, in the holder of the god status. That makes that makes them have to com- that makes them compelled to obey them, and we actually also do meet uh, who is actually the rooster, and that is Kuruno. Kuruno is the rooster in the zodiac, and they are Akito's number one confidant. Like they will never be without Kuruno. So yeah, this is why Akito has such control over the Somas, and in, and the Somas they can't they can't and they won't disobey their god right here. But that was a big thing. That was a really really big thing. Because in the original anime, you saw Akito, and you think, like, okay, they're the head of the family and whatnot, but you never really knew how far that went. But now here, we realize they're the god in the story. They're the god in the legend. And of course, like, they're, like, and of course, like, very smartly relating it to this larger idea that, like, yes, this is, like, a controlling head of the family, but, like, it's not, it doesn't just feel like magic. It also feels like actual, like, abusive control over the entire family. Mm-hmm. Like a genuine controlling fear that is being monopolized by one person. That's very smart writing there. Very fascinating. You know, like a big, like a deeper, harder version of like Roman Reigns controlling the bloodline. Like, like it's, that. this is where like Toru realizes it's, this, this all goes beyond just magic. This is, this is like an, this is like an actual culture of fear in this family. Yeah, like this kind of rocks her world a bit where, where she realizes this is much bigger than she could have ever imagined. Yes. Absolutely. And also Akito, the way they lay their hands on Toru just grabs her face and just slowly claws at her cheek, drawing blood, no less. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, and also, to, yeah, there's also that realization that, like, Akito, like, really, like, there's, like, nothing's, like, they re- they really can get get away with anything. Like, Akito here is basically saying, I can squash you like a bug right now if right. I wanted to. It's all very compelling stuff. It is very, very good. Very good to end off uh, the first, uh, the first half of season two with. Right. So after all these revelations, Toru now resolving to fight for the Somas in order to ensure their freedom from Akito, their summer break is finally over. Not gonna lie, I would have been satisfied with season two if it just ended off there. If that was the ending of season two, I would have been fine with that too because that was a big whammy moment. That's also like neatly in the middle too, as well. Like that's. That's a good strong note to end off on. Yeah, uh, we still got some uh, some stuff to get to in this first half of the series right here. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm oh, just yeah. saying that would have been like a really good like send off point there. For that would have been two. great, like that final shot of like Toru looking out, and then we see like see Akito. It's like it's really good. It's really good. So uh, when she gets back, Toru goes to Kazuma and tells her goal of breaking the Soma's curse, as uh, you know she's seen the pain that the Zodiac members have carried for far too long, and she wants to help them. She wants to free them from Akito's control. And Cosma does offer a theory that, uh, you know, maybe the curse might have something to do with, uh, like I said, the bond of blood with Akito. Like, there might be something more to that phrase. But uh, that's all he can really offer, you know. But he does tell her that uh, maybe the best thing she can do for now is just just to be around them, you know. Just uh, grace them with her presence and that maybe that can help them. Because she's already proven to be a big wrench in the system so far, so... You know, the fact that Akito is just stressing so hard over Toru shows that... She is doing something right here, you know, just being there is something that could help in the long run. So yeah, it's like Toru, just keep 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 doing what you're doing. Just keep it's being working. You. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, it's been a while. Let's actually check back in on our uh, favorite little piggy girl Kagura as uh, she invites Kyo on a date and the two uh, need to talk about some things. And here we actually get uh, some closure to like her character arc, her relationship with Kyo right here. Yeah, I was wondering if we were going to get closure for another member of the Zodiac. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, as much as he she expresses her love to him, there's always that feeling that there might be something more to this uh, one-sided crush here. As uh, her crush came about because she always looked down on herself because she was cursed. She said her parents fought over it, and, you know, as we see in her home life, like, she only lives with her mom, there's no dad, so, assumedly, they split up because of this. And all this just kind of made her feel awful, you know, the fact that her being the boar in the Zodiac just kind of ripped her family apart. Then she met Kyo when they were little kids, and she accidentally saw his true form, his monster form, after she took his beads off. And Kagura was disgusted by this, but then realized, wait, there's someone in the Soma family that has it much worse off than I do. And that kind of horribly makes her feel better about herself. And she ends up loving him because his bad situation just kind of like made hers look like nothing right here. And yet, at one point, there was like a point in her life where she tried to fall in love for him for real because if he ended loving her back, then she wouldn't feel bad for, you know, running away that day or for loving him for selfish reasons. Like, if it's uh, reciprocated, then she wouldn't have anything to worry about. It would be like a proof of hypothesis. <laughs> yeah, but that's the case. Kyo would never fall in love with her. He would never saw her as anything more of a romantic partner. A really, a really good example of, like, a character rec uh, reconciling with their puppy love. <laughs> yeah. Because like, that's very much what it was before. It really was. But also, but there was also that underlying, uh, that, that underlying nature that, like, <laughs> they're both, like, the same age as, like, teenagers or something, and that she's, like, she's, her, her kind of love is something that is mostly experienced through, like, kids. Yeah. But, like, so, like, I love how this was kind of smartly addressed here and finally put to rest. Kill after hearing all this... He forgives her. Like, he thanks her for staying by his side all this time, even if it was for selfish reasons. And he thanks her for, like, even showing him love, even if it may not have been actually love. Well, I was always also the perspective that it wasn't entire that it, I don't think it was entirely selfish, because she yeah. did still care about Kyo. Yeah, and... it, it started off as selfish, but then over time, it actually grew into something more genuine. Right, right. And there was something kind of beautiful about that. Yeah, and I just... And I did really like that final moment where they had together, where just Kyo thanks her, and, you know, he just... He appreciates that someone out there was looking out for him and actually cared about him when no one else would. Yeah, she still gave him something that he genuinely needed in his life. And that's, that's not something to apologize for. Yeah. And it was just such good closure, you know? Like, I really I really enjoyed this. Like, you know, I thought, like, back in the original anime, like, kind of portrayed Kagura as more of, like, a very comedic character. It didn't really give her a whole lot of depth. But here, in Season 2, they actually really fleshed her out more. Yeah, a very a very good sen a very good um larger kind of character send off for her. Yeah. Even though she's not like out of the story entirely yet. Nope, she still hangs around, but uh her crush on Kyo is pretty much done for. Yeah, it's it's the closure she needed. Mm-hmm. You know, she can finally move on from that. She doesn't have to feel bad anymore. So after that we actually do get an episode that also focuses on uh the homeroom teacher of uh Toru Kiyonyuki. Yeah, I didn't expect this, actually. Yeah, Maiko Shiriaki, played here by uh, Anastasia Munoz. You know, we saw a bit of her back in uh, Season 1. She was the homeroom teacher, but uh, we didn't really get to see much character for her other than maybe some hints at a larger relationship with, like, the Soma family. So uh, it turns out that uh, she and Shigure were actually exes. They uh, apparently dated for a month before breaking it off. And then I'm like, whoa, you just dropped that on me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, back up. <laughs> she and Shigure? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then you find out how deep the rabbit hole goes. And then we find out that uh, her friend Kana is the same Kana who was once Hattori's fiancé. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. This was actually teased back in uh, season one in kind of a 
blinking and miss it kind of thing where we actually do see that she has a photo of Kana with her uh, new husband after getting married. I honestly did blink and miss it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I forgot about that too, like when I first watched this and I'm just all like, oh, that's right. Yeah, they, she does know them. And also, she was actually once attracted to Hattori, but didn't pursue him out of respect for Kana, because she knew Kana lo- loved him more. So that's why she kind of settled with Shigure here. But uh, once again, going back to my, my point about how the season, and also like the manga by extension, kind of does know how to give this time and attention to a lot of their side characters here too. And we also actually get to see like her reaction to like uh, the incident with uh, Hattori and uh, Akito, you know, finding about out about how Kana witnessed the moment where Akito injured Hattori's eye and they were forced to break it off right there. Well, it's an interesting per well, it's all well, it's an also in, it's also interesting having her in the series too because she's by by and large she is like a complete outsider to the Soma family still. But she but she offers like another perspective from the outside, like seeing what happened, seeing seeing something happen to like her friend <laughs> as they were associated with the Soma family. It it sort of recontextualizes it in the from the perspective of someone who who would who would who's like totally normal and really hits home like wow this is actually like really fucked up when you when you pull back and look at it from the outside. So and then we actually get a reunion between uh, Mayuko and Hattori. You know he goes to her uh, bookstore because uh, Shigure bought a book for him that he needs to pick up, and he also inadvertently kind of uh, set up this whole meeting between the two of them. You know kind of let them have a meet cute here. Ah uh, sneaky Shigure. <laughs> So, yeah, she heard about uh, from Shigure that, uh, you know, Hattori and Kana both found uh, some new loves here. But uh, she notices that uh, he doesn't seem as uh, happy as he probably should be. Kind of feels like his uh, smile's a little bit fake. Something's up here with him. And she really wants to help him, but doesn't really know what to do. And it actually leads to, like, a really, really sweet moment between the two of them where she just starts crying for him. And Hattori's uh, able to calm her down, but is appreciative that someone was able to cry for her when he can't cry. Aww. Like before with uh, Kyo and Kagura, just like someone who's very happy to know that someone out there cares for them, even though that they might not feel the same way in the moment right now, but it's just, they're just grateful for that, and it's it's a really nice thing. Further punctuated by the fact that it's like actually like two adults, two like fully grown adults here, when most of the other stuff is like, you know, te- involves teens. Yeah, like that's another thing that Fruits Basket does well, like they know how to do both like younger teen kid relationships and more adult relationships right right it's it's a it's a more mature relationship but it's like treat it's it's treated with like a lot of good tact then uh we do get we did get a fun moment to kind of ended this off on a bit of a light note where uh hattori sets the record straight that he doesn't actually have a new girlfriend because earlier we saw shigure saw him with like another woman and he thought oh that's a new girlfriend her name is satsuki and he's all and then he hears about this from mayuko and he's all like satsuki satsuki soma that's Hiro's mother. <laughs> I was just checking in on her from, with the pregnancy. She fucking lied yeah. just to like gauge her reaction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, it's a, it's a nice moment, and they actually do kind of go out for the rest of the day to just spend some time together. <laughs> and uh, all part of Shigure's plan to kind of set them up, and you know maybe somewhere down the line there could be something more between the two of them. Time for the new school term to begin right here, as we close out this uh, first half right here. And we're introduced to some uh, some more new characters right here, more members of uh, Yuki's uh, student council cabinet here. First up is uh, Kimi Toto, played here by Shirami Lee. Uh, she's another one of the secretaries for the student council, and she and Manabe have now gifted uh, Yuki the new nickname, Union. <laughs> <laughs> Though I hear that, and all I can imagine is uh, Yuki being a loser mage with no friends. <laughs> 
And then we're introducing like another member of the student council, uh, Naohito Sakuragi, played here by uh, Michael Solasad, and he proclaims himself to be Yuki's rival. So we have two new characters that kind of fill out the ranks of the student council right here. And like they're this, a lot of fun. Like, this is a lot to all take at once, though. Like, this this, this all feels like, again, like I said before, you can make an act... This is a, These are a lot of characters with unique personalities that you could credibly make into a spin-off. You really could. Like, Yuki's got, got himself quite the inner circle here with, like, Kimi be, being very, you know, mischievous and more so than she lets on and also often kind of fucking with the Prince Yuki fan club here or Naohito taking things way too seriously and everyone just kind of give them crap for it yeah, and the second half of season two like really really puts a lot of like work into developing this relationship for yuki yeah i was actually kind of surprised by it because it takes up a lot of time actually and also i do like the the bit where manabe is trying to like he sees the whole student council as like a, a super sentai group so he's trying to like assign everyone colors you know he wants to be black and then he asks everyone what their colors are <laughs> and he tries to change the name of like student council to like student defense force <laughs> and the one outlier in all this uh, machi seeing more of her like she just sticks out as like more mysterious and that she also sticks out in, in the sense that she doesn't stick out when compared to like these other characters mm -hmm. but uh later that day we do see more of Yuki and manabe's relationship and it actually it's one that also turns into like a really interesting one later on like you know someone who you can see as like basically being yuki's best friend in the entire series right here where he's uh upfront to manabe about how he wishes he could have an outgoing personality like him but also, Manabe wants to understand others like Yuki does. You know, they both have something that they both want. And, you know, as happy-go-lucky as he may come off, Manabe does have his own insecurities like Yuki does. Yeah, he does bring... He does bring again, he he's a good character for challenging Yuki. You know, just completely con disconnected from all the Soma family drama. He's someone new that he can connect with and uh, sort of reflect upon. Yeah, and, like, they're both complete opposites, but in the way they're also very similar, too. And, like... They just make, like, the perfect duo, like, the perfect buddy duo in the show. Yeah, because, like, for a character that actually kind of, that comes relatively later in the series, like, <laughs> they, like, actually gets a lot, they actually get, like, a, there's actually a lot of time to, spent to develop him, and actually make you believe that these two could be friends. And it's like, it reaches a point later on in the season where it's like, you can't imagine them separated from each other, you can't imagine Yuki without Manabe. Pretty impressive for, like, a second half of a season. Yeah, to, like, introduce a major character that will stick with him for the rest of the series. We're at the halfway point of the season, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with the rest of Fruits Basket Season 2. I'm not afraid to 
Hello again. Almost a year has passed since I came to stay at Shigure Soma's house, and it's been pretty eventful. What do you know about being a normal teenager, you freak? I've met a lot of Somas now. It's bad, it's bad, it's really bad. And they're all so different. Some are loud. Good morning. Some are shy. But they're all so kind in their own way. Still, I'm not sure what someone like me can do, but I want to help them all in whatever way I can. with the rest of Fruits Basket Season 2, and we have a new opening and ending for the second half of the season. The opening is Home by Toki Asuko, and the ending is Eden by Monkey Magic. What do you think of these songs? Holy shit, I did not expect to like uh, Home as much as I did. Home is really good. Mmm, this, like, this, like this sounds like some really good Japanese pop music right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is like a very slow, uh, methodical... A sad ballad here, but it's also kind of hopeful. Yeah. Like, like holy shit, that, this is a really good opening. <laughs> and the visuals are just really good. Like, the whole entire city is, like, at sunset, so we just have, like, that orange hue over everything. Mmm, it's absolutely gorgeous. And filmed really well with, like, a lot of these panoramic shots of the series. Like, very good use of CGI for, like, uh, a lot of the environments here, too. Like, it's really good. Damn, like, this this is a really good opening I could listen to casually. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I actually love this more than the first opening. Like, it's really Way good. more. I love it way more. <laughs> <laughs> the second ending is also really good, too. Like, if not for the visuals alone, because I love all the images of all the somas and, like, you know, fancy, like, kimonos and yukatas, and, like, they all look so good, these artwork pieces here. Yeah, the second ending is also really good as well. Like, damn, fine job. All Good around. job. Like, they knocked it out park here. So, yeah, we're going back on uh, Rain Watch here as Yuki wants to check in on her. You know, he finds her and uh, wants to know why she dumped Haru. Like, well, what, what is going on between the two of them? As uh, she's always protected Haru ever since they were little kids, you know? Back in the day when Yuki was separated from everyone else, Haru would always go to see him. And then Rain would always be off to the side to, like, warn Haru in case anyone was going to come in to check on Yuki. So... She has always been looking out for him for so long, and Yuki just wants to know, like, what happened? You two are just so close. Like, what's going on here? 
and uh, he starts to believe that uh, she might be doing something, like, in this breakup. She's probably doing something to protect Haru right here. Like, there's got to be more of a method to her madness. Yeah, there's definitely something so there, there's there's definitely something quite unique to uh, Susu here, who's um, you know, just so much more like arguably the most combative member of the Zodiac. Yeah, she's kind of more prone to like snapping back at others here. Yes, absolutely, but it just makes you even more interested to know what's going on with her. And also, we kind of see like her, you know, reasons as to like why she was once interested in uh, Haru, or maybe still is, but like how. The thing that she really notes about him is, like, he's completely unselfish. He's always thinking about other people for himself. Like, he was the one who went to Shigure to ask him to take Yuki in to live with him when Yuki was be- was just basically being trapped and abused in the, Soma- in the Soma household here. And she also, like, tells stories about kind of, like, how stupid he can be, but also, like, it's also very charming, too. Like, he's kind of a doof, but you really like this guy. Yeah, like, their relationship is actually sold pretty well. And then Haru shows up, you know, wants to know what's going on, and he goes after her, and... He actually gives her a kiss. Notably, she doesn't push back immediately. Like, she actually reciprocates it. Once she, like, realizes what ha- what's happening here, she slaps him and runs off. There is something going yeah, on. Yeah, there's very much something going on here. Like, she's not being honest with, with herself about this breakup here. Yes. And I gotta say, like, they're really doing a good job of building this up. Like, I'm really, really interested to see, like, where things go between these two. And, like, I kind of do want to see things end off on a happy note for Rin and Haru. Mm, yes. Like, the the mo- like the most romantically involved of the Zodiacs, that's yeah. for certain. Outside of the stuff with, like, uh, Toru in the love triangle with, like, Yuki and Kyo here. Right, right. Like, no, these these two are actually in, like, a relationship. Uh, they, they be fucking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is true. Actually, like, they, actually. They, they're actually, they've actually fucked on the side. In the manga, it's actually much more clear that, yeah, they have gotten, gotten busy. Yes. <laughs> gotta clarify that gotta clarify and uh one thing that uh we kind of notice here that uh, we haven't really seen before since uh whenever we see Irene, she's kind of shown from the front we never seen her from behind and whenever she is from behind she has her hair blocking her back but we see that uh, she has actually a big scar on her right shoulder blade here so something happened with that and it's it's it, yeah yeah Parent-teacher conferences are coming up, and uh, while this may be business as usual for others, for Yuki, this is more of a difficult thing. You know, reasons being is that uh, he has to come in contact with his mother, whom he is estranged with. Though, before Yuki's conference, we do get some fun bits with uh, other characters and their parents here, having these little meetings with Mayako. You know, Uochan saying one of her career goals is to be a model because Toru suggested that to her one day on a whim. <laughs> or Hana-chan's goal is to just graduate, and then we do see her career form, and what she's written on there says, one escape to a foreign country to train to become a housewife like, <laughs> like i don't not know, taking this seriously hanachan never takes anything seriously in the show <laughs> and i kind of like that about her this is a very low ambition uh, character and also i love that you know she's kind of this whole very gothic looking character and we see her mom and her mom is like the most mommest normal looking mom ever <laughs> and she could have taken the role of toru's guardian but he's just mainly here to mess with mayoko and Mayuko just tries so hard to no-sell him. Like, as soon as she sees him, she's all like, Ah, oh, this fucking guy again. Hi, uh, <laughs> hey, nice to meet you. You're Toru's guardian. I, I'm Mayuko, her teacher. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that they, like that. there's still a nice little moment afterwards where you could still get them together. Oh, yeah. And also, they, they take these kind of, like, passive-aggressive snipes at each other. You know, Shigure bringing up Mayuko's relationship status about how she'll one day maybe not get married or maybe get married and she's all like oh well maybe i'll find someone who's actually good for me (laughs) (laughs) 
And then uh, very entertaining those two. Also, Shigure intentionally wore one of Hattori's suits, and she noticed <laughs> just to fuck with her. Oh my god. <laughs> then Kyo comes in with his conference along with his real dad. Real dad being Kazuma, of course. Nobody else. And also Hanashan thinks he's hot, which is kind of which is kind of funny. <laughs> You know, I think her ways can sense that he's a strong, tough guy with the kindest soul. But uh, after that, we do get Yuki's conference, and uh, we do get to see his mom here, played here by Morgan Loray. And she's a real piece bitch. of work. <laughs> Just bitch. <laughs> she's a bitch. <laughs> well, no, she's a real piece of work right here. She's still controlling Yuki, even though he's not living with her, hasn't been in contact with her in a long time up to this moment. And she's just still saying, like, he can't, saying like that, he can't think or do anything for himself, and that he will go to the college that she chose for him in order to, like, ensure her status within the Soma family. And all this is just, like, interspliced with these flashbacks to, like, Yuki as a kid with his mother, and how she just has no hesitation with calling Yuki her tool. Because she believes that, so that, like, that makes it even worse right there. You know, she wants to control every aspect of his life because it'll up her status within the uh, Soma family right here. She just only cares about, like, your position within the family. And, oh, here's another contestant for worst parent of the series. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we talk about good parents, like, b- between this and Tiger and Bunny. We need we need a list of bad parents there. We gotta start putting that together. Oh, uh, but, those, uh, but, those so, but those get so real, though. Yeah, and they get sad and kind of yeah. <laughs> really dark. This is, this, is, this is why, like, the discussion of, like... Like, bad anime parents mostly just ends at, uh, <laughs> like, Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Tucker. Yep, Tucker. <laughs> usually the, usually the, that conversation, because, again, it's like you gotta get into, like, what actually makes a bad parent, and then just gets really fucking depressing. Like, everyone just says... Show Tucker, Gendu Ikari, and then just ends it right there. And you're real, and you're, and it reveals a lot in other people, like how shitty can like parents actually get, and like it's personal, and it's like you learn a lot about people, but it's like the the conversation usually ends at like Tucker, yeah, as far as like bad parents go, because it's like you can't get any, you can't get, there's any- at least also some like underlying like dark humor to that. As well. He's like the one bad anime parent where you can actually have some dark humor about. Dark humor that I can never escape from. Where, like, you can't get any worse <laughs> than, like, fusing your fucking daughter with a dog. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's so over the top and, like, awful. That's cartoony super villainy. It, it almost goes right back around to being funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's disconnected enough from, like, any actual, like, real world, <laughs> like, abusive behavior. That like like I don't bl- like I don't I don't blame people that only reference him as like the worst anime parent because when you look at the other alternatives like the ones in fruits fruits basket it's just like wow this is like actually bad yeah like there's no fun to be had here you know none of these bad parents are gonna meet get to, like you know their face exploded by a scar or anything like that no 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 nothing. even though they because there was at least just there was at least justice there's, there there's with justice him. there but you know you look at these parents and it's like they deserve it but you know it's not gonna happen yeah. So yeah, we saw bits of this earlier, but uh, yeah, Yuki's mom is verbally abusive, and it's on full display here, and she doesn't care who knows it. Like, even Mayuko is seeing, like, how awful she could be, and she's she's trying to speak up, you know, saying, like, hey, do you mind not talking to your son like that in front of me? But then she just, like, snaps back right back at her, and she's like, I don't care about what you think. Like, it's it's pretty, it's it's really dark-sided. Yeah. Things are going bad until... Here I come to save the day. Ah, the high-end talent of a big brother. Ayame comes to Yuki's rescue right here. Ah, the scene, scene really, the scene really did need him. It's 
his arrival is just the sweetest thing where he just just floats into the room and everything and then like Yuki's mom is just completely like thrown off her game like yeah, she's, she's flabbergasted yeah she's just flustered at her like other son coming in here and interrupting everything he just comes in like no I'll be Yuki's guardian right here please do the conference with me he, he doesn't give a shit and that's exactly what like Yuki needed he needed some reckless abandon here to come to his defense yeah <laughs> and I do like the moment where Yuki you know expresses his gratitude for Ayame showing up and Ayame slowly lifts up his phone to probably call Hatsuri, and Yuki's all like, don't, don't even think about it. <laughs> it's like, what? I'm just, I'm just gonna send him a text message. Ah, uh, I am a, come to, come to the rescue. <laughs> so yeah, Mommy Dearest storms off in a huff, and after thanking I am a for showing up, Yuki goes after her, and he finally stands up to his mother right here. He's gonna be the only one who can control his future. He's gonna go to the college of his choice, and he's just gonna do whatever he wants without anyone's approval, especially hers. I'm just like, yeah, good for you, man. Mm. You know, Yuki may be a prince, but this right here, this is some king shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, after that, we kind of, let's bring things down a bit right here. As, uh, remember last season when we got uh, Momiji's backstory and it was the saddest thing? Are you ready for more of the saddest thing? Yep. <laughs> uh, this uh, family that uh, is around but he can never get close to. Let's follow up on that. So it starts off with Toto going to the Soma estate in order to find uh, Kuruno to talk to him about reconnecting with Uochan. And uh, by the way, she denies it, but uh, she's seriously pining over this guy. Like, she really wants to see Kuruno again. And while at the estate, Toto bumps into Momiji's little sister Momo, played here by Megan Shipman. And oh my god, she's so cute! Ah, uh, just, as, just as adorable as her brother. Ah, uh, cute as a bug's ear. And she's uh, been sneaking around, and she's actually been secretly watching Momiji. She's seen him around and wants to get to know him because she thinks uh, he looks like her mom. And not knowing that her mom is also his mom. Ah, shit. And Momo wants Toru to help her meet Momiji, and then she says she wants him to be her big brother. Ugh, come on. I was like, come on, Fruits Basket, don't do this to me. You gotta, like, you gotta just, like, stab me right in the <laughs> kidney there, don't you? And by the way, what when I say don't do this to me, I mean keep it up, I want those feels. <laughs> but the first time I watched that, when she says, I want Momiji to be my big brother, I let out the biggest, aww. <laughs> <laughs> Like, she wants a big brother! Like, she even started playing violin just like him, but then he had to stop playing violin because they weren't going to be in the same class together and they uh, can't get close to each other. God. <laughs> Momiji can't have any connection with his sister or mother because, like, any any interaction could potentially bring back those memories that uh, Hattori repressed back in the day. And then Toru tells him about Momo wanting to be her big brother, and it's like, it's the most heartbreaking heartbreaking thing, because Toru's on the verge of tears talking about Momo to Momiji. Because it just keeps coming right back. It just keeps coming right back. He can't, like, as much as he wants to run away from it, Momiji, Momiji, like, he, that that's always going to be there. And, like, and even now he knows, like, my sister's out there, and she still wants to be with her brother. Like, she's now taking notice of him now. Like, before, like, they may have bumped into each other a few times at his father's workplace but now she's actually interested in him and wants to really wants to actually meet him and he's like conflicted with these feelings where it's like oh god i so want to like like i don't want this to happen all over again but at the same time i want to be with my family like he even talks about his dream where like one day he wants to host like a private violin concert for like both his parents and his little sister like he wants that to come true one day Mm. it's just ah come on 
But in the end, he's not actually sad. Like, he's happy that Momo notices him and wants to meet him, and he's happy that Toru cares so much to cry for him here. Like, it's the sweetest thing. But afterwards, after that sadness, we actually do get a bit of levity here. As uh, we get in the form of Toru trying to Metal Gear her way around the Sunwa State to find Kuruno. <laughs> Though, since Momiji gave her a map, I guess that makes uh, him her Otacon right here. Ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I could hear his voice coming through a codec call. You know, just have him say, like, he'll always be with her in spirit. <laughs> and then maybe build, like, a little robot that follows her around, too, that's controlled by a PS3 controller. <laughs> <laughs> Toro-chan, you're all alone and surrounded by bad guys. <laughs> I had to get that one in. <laughs> just like one of my Japanese animes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I just heard, I just reminded, I was just reminded like Kodak calls, and it's yeah. like, oh god. <laughs> so yeah, she ends up finding Kuruno, but he can't ever see Uochan again, no matter how much Toru wants him to. But uh, she does leave him with her contact info, you know, doesn't have to call her now, just sit on it, wait a day, wait two days, wait a week, wait a month, whatever, just, I'll just leave this here, and if you ever want to talk to her again, it's there for you. Just go whenever you feel like it. You know, it's just like, he may say this, but maybe he'll change his mind one day, and that's just Toru just holding out hope, because she, she just really cares about her friend right here, just wanting to find love and just be happy. And I just gotta say, Toru, she just she just cares so much about the people around her. It's really fucking beautiful. So, afterwards, we take a break from all of the angst in the fields, as uh, we have a fun little trip to Kyoto right here. And uh, it's one thing that anime knows how to do, and it's uh, make, me, make me really want to visit Kyoto one day. It really looks like a gorgeous place. Just full, beautiful. Full, full of great history. Little shrines, full of everything, and also Hanachan bigging up the local food there, too. Mm, lots of good local food. You know, and also we see that the running joke with her is, like, anytime she appears on screen, she always has, like, a different food with her. <laughs> and you also get some fun bits of, like, uh, you know, kids talking about, you know, love being in the air during school trips because you're close to each other for so long, and there's a bit where Kyo has to be, like, a heartbreak kid here, turn down some random girl. <laughs> and then also he has to shoot down a cat, too. You know, a cat's kind of flirting with him, and he's all like, get away from me, you dumb cat. <laughs> there's some, like, a weird moment where, like, the cat even, like, talks back. There, there's a joke where, like, the talk, the cat meows back to him, but it's subtitled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Like, 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 he's, like, he's spurn, like, he's spurning another woman who was interested in him. Yeah, the cat, like, meows, how dare you break the heart of a girl that's flirting with him, flirting with you. I'm gonna go home now. <laughs> it's, all, meow, 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 meow. it's like, what the fuck? Did this cat wander in from another anime? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of those out there. Um, you also see, like, that part where, like, uh, another part of Kyoto that I kind of like, the, the one where you can feed all the deer, Nara. Oh yeah, the Naru deer. Those those all looks those things look so cute. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how ecologically like good it is that you should be feeding deer. Like, it's like, are these like, is it actually okay to be feeding these deer in particular? Or are they just like, are they just like all like really okay with humans being around? I guess like it's been. Going can you on. feed? Can you feed them special treats that like won't fucking intrude with their like ecosystem? Yeah, like I'm guessing it's been something that's just been going on for so long that they've been almost kind of somewhat domesticated in a way yeah i don't know i don't know entirely what's going on there yeah well they also note that it's just all like yeah they're just pretty chill deer just walk up to them and hand them a snack i know they, they do look really adorable they do i would i would actually like to meet one and there's also like a, a cute bit where uh yuki and manabe are talking and manabe brings up toru and says that you know he might be interested in her and then yuki says that if he does pursue her he better not do anything to hurt her and he tries to be all mischievous and, and all like and what if i do and then yuki just says I won't be friends with you anymore. <laughs> and then he just goes, 
wait, that was stupid. That's so childish. You wouldn't believe that. And then Maname believes that. He's like, but d- you don't say that, man. I, you can't end our friendship over something like that. I wasn't I was Whoa, kidding. whoa. Let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Yeah. <laughs> say anything we're going to regret. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was great. But no, overall, just kind of a, the whole Kyoto trip, just, it's a one-off episode, but it's kind of a nice little detour in amidst of, like, all the feels and the angst. Mm, yeah, it, it brings some very welcome levity. Levity. Mm-hmm. But now that we had that, let's get into some big stuff. Yeah, we had our levity, now let's get back into the serious shit. Let's get back to Reen, as uh, she's not doing so hot. She's uh, getting desperate to find a way to break the curse, you know, she went to Shigure to see if he knows anything about it. But he tells her that he doesn't know anything about it, but she keeps thinking that he's lying and that he knows the answer to everything. Throughout all of this, Reen is just kind of like, her health is just kind of failing. She's just getting sicker and sicker. And here, we start to get her backstory. Bit of a content warning as this gets rough. So as a kid, Reen seemed to have a good life. Her parents were always happy, always smiling. It seemed as if their daughter being cursed wasn't a big deal to them, and that they'll always love her no matter what. But... One day, Reen questioned their happiness, and it was all that it took to make him snap. They forced themselves to be happy, but deep down, they hated and resented Reen's existence. Once they stopped forcing themselves to be happy, they just spiraled down into a pit of hatred and abuse. We've seen parents of Zodiac members, you know, disown their children or control their lives, but that's as far as it went. But here, this takes it to another level. Like, Reen's parents, they get really violent with her. Like, they really fucking hated her. Yeah, they hated her guts. Like, there's there's a real horrible part where, like, it looks like Rain's dad is reaching out to pat her on the head, and she's even smiling, and then we just see him forcibly just grab her hair and just kind of, like, yank her off Yeah, screen. just fucking yanks her forward. It's horrific. Or, like, another moment where, like, at the start of the flashback where she's at Shigure's house looking for him, and she's just almost throwing up because of how sick she is, and then she starts to hold it in because she's reminded of her parents punishing her for something like this, and she's just, like, just having a full-on panic attack mode right there. Yeah, this this section gets really fucking heavy. There are even moments where we don't see anything, but we do get an implication of how bad it is. Like, we just get shots of this doll that Rain had when she was a little kid, and we just see it, it's all torn up and ripped to shreds. And this continues as she grows up. There's even moments where... It's like a really tough moment where she's like standing in front of the doorway to her home, opens it a little bit, and then just closes it and goes like, no, I'll come back later when they're calmed down. Like, ah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that, that, that is very real. And at one point, Reen ends up in the hospital, like, and we do hear the extent of her injuries. Like, she's filled with a lot of, like, bruises and broken bones and everything, and just her health is just failing at this point, and it's, it's really bad. And the fact that she's in the hospital... Because of injuries her parents caused her, and her parents are there, and they're just there to just say, we don't want you anymore, we are disowning you. And she tries to apologize and go back to them. It's it's real, it's it's a real bad abusive, like, victim syndrome right there. But then we have Haru coming in, finally. Yeah, throughout all of this, he was the one that was always there for her. And, like, he would help her when no one else would. He was the one who brought her to the hospital in the first place, who called in Cosmo to, like, bring in some help. And he was there, like, even even when he's, like, a, this little kid, this little baby right here, he was there to, like, stand up to Reen's parents and tell them off to, for being monsters and being fucking awful. Like, he was always there for her, no matter what. And soon enough, she fell in love with him. And he loved her back. Like, that was the start of the relationship right there. But of course, when you're a Soma, you're not allowed any happiness unless Akito says so. Akito finds out, and Reen takes the blame for the whole relationship. 
And it's actually one of the hardest scenes to watch, this confrontation between Rin and Akito. They don't hold back at all right here. Akito knows just where to press with Rin. Like, it starts... And Rin is legitimately, like, like more frightened than most other Zodiacs of Akito in this moment. Like, it starts off with Akito slapping Rin, and then this just opens up all of the past trauma with her parents, and she just kind of starts having a full-on breakdown right in front of Akito. And then Akito just starts grabbing her and just starts screaming in her face, just calling her trash, calling her everything, just everything under the sun, just every single insult and every single disparaging thing to her while she's just having this full-on meltdown. And then Akito pushes Rin out of the window, and she just falls basically two stories onto the ground below. And that's where she got that scar, because we see that she landed kind of Impact on a stone. On a stone. Cut open her back. Blood. Pool of blood beneath her. Also, make us kind of even worse. Uh, Hiro, he saw this go down, too. So he he saw that happen. And, yeah, that, that also ties into, like, why he brings this up. Why he brings up Rin later around Haru as well. Yeah, like, it's not outright said, but he it seems like he knew about what went, went on between them beforehand. Mm-hmm. And, like, this is where her resolve to break the curse comes from. Like, she wants to free herself from all this abuse, but more importantly, she wants to free Haru. She doesn't want him to get involved in any of this. This, this backstory, holy shit, man. Yeah, yeah. This, this is the, this is the worst one so far. Yeah, like... Not in terms of storytelling. No, the storytelling's great. It's amazing. But, like, it it was one of the hardest episodes to watch of the season. It's really fucking hard to watch. Yeah, and also, apologies for covering two anime in a row that feature episodes with pretty graphic parental abuse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, that wasn't intentional, that was, that's coincidental, but apologies for having... I had to put you all through that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's sorry, sorry folks. Yeah, but that being said, like with that episode of Tiger and Bunny, the storytelling is really well done here. Like, they, they knocked it out of the park right there. Like, Takia, the original mangaka, and also the anime crew for animating this, directing this, storyboarding this, everything. Like, they really did this, did a good job and did Reen's backstory justice. Mm, yeah, fantastic work on their part, portraying this. And all the props in the world to... Brina Palencia and director Caitlin Glass, because this must have been one of the hardest episodes to record, but they fucking nailed it. Because other than some lines from some characters here and there, like, it's just Rain. Like, it's just her talking in the scenes or just her voiceover in a lot of the scenes. Like, it's just her for that, for the episode. Yeah. But uh, to end this part off on a bit of a lighter note, I just want to say how much I love that as soon as Toru walked in on Rain, she immediately, no questions asked, just ran up to her and just consoled her and hugged her, like, I love that so much. And it's what and it's what makes Rin uh, warm up to Toru as well. Yeah, and it's like, moments like that perfectly illustrate why I say Toru Honda is like my favorite anime character of all time. Not just like best girl or anything like that. She is my all-time favorite anime character in anything because of that. Because of her like unyielding kindness right here and how she just shows it to people without being asked for it. She's defined by her unconditional love for others. Like, her empathy towards others is just incredible it's aspirational like i want more toru hondas in the world yes and like honestly i gotta say like after i watched this episode for the first time like it was just such a big emotional big boom like i actually kind of teared up a bit like i had a good cry like yeah i wouldn't blame anyone and just going all like god i love fruits basket so much it's so good to get this big emotional reaction out of me yeah really incredible this stuff 
So Rin needs some time to rest up, and during this time, she and Toru actually kind of get to know each other a little, a little bit, and she even remembers a time when she saw, when she was talking to Haru and heard about like how kind Toru is and how her being around Kyo and Yuki actually chilled them out and mellowed them out over over the time. And, but uh, Rin tried to avoid her, you know, she doesn't want to get closer to her, but then she sees her unyielding kindness and just wants to be near her because kindness is what she really needs right now. She relates, she relates to her a lot to like a mom or something, which she clearly didn't fucking have growing no, up. No, she did not have. And it's kind of all, that whole thing, like Toru being like a mother figure, like we also hear that bit later on with uh, Yuki, like he kind of equates Toru to like a mom. Kind of something also he never really had growing up. But the reason Rain didn't like immediately go to Toru when she really wanted to is that she didn't want to feel like she was taking advantage of her. You know, she felt like she took advantage of Haru and that hurt him, so she doesn't want to have the same thing to happen to Toru. But we do have this great moment where, like, Rain runs away, and as soon as Toru approaches her, she just, like, jumps back into her arms and just starts crying. Like, she fully accepts her kindness in that moment right there. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so good. Like, they really did the these past, these, like, two episodes really, really well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So they both have the same goal of breaking the Zodiac curse, and we get a moment where, like, they're talking about it. And Rain asks Toru, like, why does she care so much? And what drives her to do this? What is most precious to her? Uh, Toru freezes, doesn't give an answer, but later that night she has a dream of the moment when her mom left her for the very last time, you know, tries to call out to her but can't, you know, she sees that as a moment that could have easily been avoided. To answer Rain's question, that's like why she wants to stop all these tragedies from happening, why she wants to break the curse, she wants to stop things happen before they happen, because she knows she can. Mm-hmm. After all that big emotion right here, let's get back to some more levity. As it's a uh, school festival time, another big anime staple here. Mm, yes, the school, the school festival. As our resident president Prince has a lot of his, on his plate, you know, making sure all the classes have their projects ready, getting a budget together, and figuring out what's going on with Machi here. As uh, she's been tearing up the uh, student council room for some reason, and generally been super on edge. And uh, thankfully, Manabe there is to calm her down, and we actually find out more about their relationship as they are actually siblings, half siblings. They have the same dad, but uh, they have different moms. And we hear about who their moms are. Uh, Manabe's mom was actually their dad's mistress, while Maji's mom was their dad's legit wife. So their family's been going through a lot of issues with uh, succession and who should be next in line to lead the family, who should be the head of the table and all that. But also, unfortunately, I was surprised to see that a lot of this uh, didn't really go anywhere for the remainder of the season. Yeah. This is where I began to realize, like, I, I started I started seeing this and the way it was playing out with these two characters, and especially the fact that like we are now in the final stretch of the season and we're doing after some really heavy shit we're now doing a uh, school festival, and that's when I began to realize oh there wasn't really a good place to end off this season was there? Yeah, they I feel like they found a good enough place to kind of hook you in for the next season, but yeah, there's like not really a big big moment that they can end off on similar to like. Kyo and Toru at the end of season one. Like, yeah, yeah, that's the one thing that kind of left me um, a little unsatisfied by the end of season two is that, like, oh, God, we have a lot of hanging plot. We're going to have a lot of hanging, hanging plot threads here. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Why does this all have to be fit within just 25 episodes? Yeah, couldn't they afford, like, a little longer? 
Yeah, because like all this like story shit about like a par- like having like a father and like two and like two and like two wives and stuff and like the, the kids and the and the and the inheritance problem. That's all really interesting, but also <laughs> there's like no time to talk about that or really dive into it further. Yeah, it's more so to set up that uh, Yuki kind of has like a bit of uh, kindred spirits in both of them because they he himself comes from like a big family with like a big lineage and he was kind of like. Placed in the middle of like whole, this whole succession thing, like hey, yeah, oh, you got family, you got family problems too, hey, brother. Brother. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it was it did kind of leave me a little unsatisfied uh, in, in this final stretch this season. Because mm, yeah. again, only so much you can fit in. But ah, oh, come on. Yeah, like a lot of uh, Manabe and Machi stuff. Like we have to like save for next season. Because now we got to put that aside. For the school, for the school festival. Yeah, like we do get a little bit more of Machi later on to kind of like at least, kind of end her story off this season on a bit of on a better note before we kind of like jump into it for season three. But again, even that left me wanting more too. Yeah. Yeah. So, but so we get a moment later on where Yuki inadvertently locks himself in the student council room closet and uh, accidentally knocks over some uh, black paint which splatters on the walls. He's able to get out thanks to Machi bashing the door open with a chair, but uh, this moment ends up unlocking some memories that he kept uh, buried deep, deep with inside him. And here we get Yuki's backstory here. It's like, oh, you thought we were done for this season? You oh, know, no. You thought we were done with sad backstories? Oh, please, please. We're, we're just not. getting started. <laughs> Since he was a child, Yuki has always been forced to be by Akito's side. This relates back to the original story of the Zodiac, where the rat was the first animal to meet with God, so that means the rat is the closest to God out of all the Zodiac creatures. And during his time with Akito, Yuki has seen firsthand what kind of person they are. He's seen all the tantrums that Akito throws, all the outbursts, and has felt the brunt of the emotional and physical abuse at their hands. As Akito has always held this power over Yuki, and they tell Yuki that because he's the rat, nobody likes him. You know, he cheated his way to get to the front of the line in the story. And Akito even turns Yuki against everyone else and everyone else against Yuki, you know, just kind of like sowing these seeds of hatred so that Yuki can only have one person he needs to go to, and that's Akito. And Akito just wants to trap Yuki in this pitch black world that they live into, you know, they're trapped in darkness, He just they just want someone to be with them. And even when Yuki finds some form of happiness, you know, meeting some friends at school who want to play with them, it just ends up hurting them because... It's that moment where, like, he accidentally turned into a rat in front of everyone. That story that he briefly told in season one. And then, oh, memory's gotta be wiped. Memory's gotta be wiped, and yeah, the friends he thought he had, they're gone now. And just back to being alone again. And Akito is just there to reaffirm that they are the only person in the world they need. No one loves you like I love you. And Yuki just wants to be free from all this. He wants to have real friends. He wants to be, even wants to be friends with Kyo. Like, that's... Actually, a really interesting thing, like, before their arrivals, he actually wanted to be friends with them. But because of the bet that uh, Akito set up with Kyo, Kyo immediately starts hated Yuki from the beginning. So they couldn't be friends, even though Yuki wanted to. Mm-hmm. And we even see that uh, the blue baseball cap actually belonged to Kyo at first. You know, Yuki found it, and then Kyo didn't want to take it back from him, because fuck you, you dirty rat. Yeah, yeah, and then that's, and yeah, then that kind of led into... Uh... Uh, Yuki's experience with Toru. Yep, he lost the you know, lost the will to live at one point, then just ran off with the baseball cap. But then, while running, he finds a woman panicking about her lost daughter. Then he remembers passing by a little girl crying in an alleyway, finds the girl, and then goes to tell the woman where she is. Girl starts chasing after him. Then uh, he just keeps running because he doesn't want to get close to her because he could turn into a rat at that point. 
and then he manages to lead her way back home. And yeah, that little girl was Toru, and that woman was Kyoko. So yeah, yeah finally we finally get the full story there. Yep. And he gave her the hat and then left her off at that moment right there. And again, making connections there with, like, the hat originally being from Kyo as well. Yeah, so, like, even then, that hat is just somehow connected all three of them without, like, ever thinking that. Yeah, really good writing there. Keep uh, creating that, like, deep connection between all of them. Yeah. Helped her when she was lost, reunited her with Kyoko, and, like, for the first time in his life, Yuki felt needed. He found the light in his life, and that was Toru. She gave him hope for just for that little moment right there. Fruits Basket, they managed to, like nail all these backstories like they haven't really had a bad backstory in all of these like they're all really so well done yeah absolutely and also i gotta say Toto's kindness continuing to give somas all the w's right there like if they just get that and they're all just like yeah we gotta win that's good you know she's the meaning in their life she's the inspiration we move on to the uh, school festival proper and uh, let's talk about what their class is doing for this festival Toto's class we're putting on a performance of cinderella ish <laughs> yeah not quite cinderella just Cinderella-ish, sort of, kind of. Yeah, because there was a gag where, like, as they're putting the play together, they realize, like, the, the actors they have are uh, are really not going to gel together for a uh, authentic telling retelling of Cinderella. Yeah, like, you can't have Hanachan as Cinderella, you can't have Toru as, like, one of the stepsisters, or, like, Yuki as the fairy godmother or anything like that, Kyo as the prince, like, everyone is so horribly miscast and they know it. Yes. <laughs> Cinderella! Come out right now, you wretched girl! There's Toru! She looks so cute! Haven't you finished sewing our dresses yet? The palace falls tonight! There's no time to waste! Are you talking to me? What do you think you're doing drinking tea? If you're taking a break, it had better be because you completed our dresses to perfection! No, no, Mother. You realize I'm not a professional seamstress, don't you? Though if you want to look ridiculous, that's your own business. I won't stop you. That's not what I want! I'm just trying to get on with the story here! While she's having a conniption, would you care to drink some tea with me, sister? <laughs> I would love to. Cinderella's, Cinderella's awesome! The palace ball was being held that night. Rumor had it, the prince would choose a bride from among the ladies who attended. The stepmother anxiously hoped her own daughter would be chosen, so she might live a comfortable life as a member of the oh, royal family. That, that. <laughs> if you ever want to see your precious sister again, you had better get to work on those dresses! Sister... This is awful. My sister's been taken from me because of some royal's party. It's his fault. I hate the prince with my whole being. And just like that, Cinderella fell desperately in love with the prince. I must find a way to sneak into the palace myself. But I've yet to finish the dresses as I was told. What to do? All is well. Uh. Worry not, dear Cinderella. Very good, mother. That was a nice entrance, but your introduction needs some work. You have such a kind heart, Cinderella, and for that you deserve a reward. Make a wish and it shall be granted. Truly? In that case, please burn the ballroom down to ashes. That would be a crime. Perhaps you could wish for something kinder and purer. Pure? I wish to eat yakiniku. That's not what I meant. Oh dear, it's my stepmother. All right then, let's see the dresses, Cinderella. Oh, no way! You mean you actually finished them? You did this all by yourself? Sort of. Cinderella, these are amazing. Really, they're lovely. You're so talented. 
Thank you, sister. I'm so glad you like my meticulously crafted handmade dresses. She took all the credit just like that. Yes, yes, never mind. Let us get changed and go. But what about Cinderella? She's staying here! Not bad. Thanks for that. I'm almost afraid to ask at this point. But nevertheless, I must. So tell me, Cinderella, what is your wish? I want Yaki... To attend the ball? Absolutely. Your pumpkin carriage awaits. And so, thanks to the fairy godmother's adherence to the story, Cinderella was able to attend the palace ball. If there's one thing I'm a sucker for, it's actually, like, goofy plays within shows. Like, I, I really love this kind of trope you see in, like, a lot of shows and movies and stuff. Just completely bastardize the entire product, and you will uh, have some gold in the end. Characters in general, just putting on plays, it's a lot of fun. Like, you know, like, we talked about the uh, the plays in, like, uh, uh, Dragon Maid, the uh, little match girl that just gets really fucked up and weird, or, like, uh, the wrestling show in Toradora. I mean, I was also thinking, like, uh, uh, The Nightman Cometh. Yep, Nightman Cometh <laughs> is another good one. That's that's my all-time fucking favorite. <laughs> I, I'm also a fan of uh, Bye Bye Greasy from Home Movies. Oh, that's great as well. <laughs> Or like uh, the 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 play episodes of Hey Arnold, uh, Romeo and Juliet, Eugene, Eugene. Those are also fun. Ooh, ones. classics for me. This play, this is amazing. <laughs> like they have a lot of fun with this one. Mm. You know, Hanachan being a Cinderella that doesn't give a shit and just wants to eat yakiniku. <laughs> Toru being like a nice stepsister because she can't force herself to be mean. And the MC who still has to keep the plot moving along, even though everyone is, like, kind of bringing their own personal hang-ups into the play as well. Like, he constantly contradicts what everyone is saying at the, in the story. <laughs> and, like, the only person who's, like, in character, like, similar characters to the original story is one of the Prince Yuki fangirls as the Wicked Stepmother. That's the only one who's the same as the original. Oh, yeah, and, and in terms of that, she, she kills it She kills it in her role. Yeah, while well, she's constantly having, like, conniption fits over, like, all of these... Characters just, like, winging it. Absolutely evil. Very good. Yep, very nice, very evil. And also there's Kyo being, like, a stubborn prince while Uo-chan's being the king who insults him and calls him a virgin. The clock strikes midnight and then Hanachan, you know, just eating Yakiniku and then she's all like, oh, gotta go. Take this, gives the glass slipper and just pieces out. <laughs> she's also like, uh, I wish I ate more, but oh well. <laughs> you should be able to use this to find her. Huh? No thanks, I think I'll pass. <laughs> You've got a chance to see her again, and you're just gonna throw it away? Jeez. Do you know how many people out there are dying to see someone they care about? I miss him. I really miss him. Come and see me, damn it! Uh, what? This impassioned, if somewhat baffling and weirdly personal speech persuaded our young hero to take action. Yes, he came to an important realization. He knew in his heart that he must see her again. I literally said nothing about wanting to see her again. And so, the prince traveled the kingdom, forcing all the young women to try on the glass slipper. He knew that when he found the footage fit, he would be reunited with his love. After a long journey, he arrived at Cinderella's home. This slipper does not belong to me. Are there any other fair maidens in your household it may fit? No one else here matches that description. Well, too bad. Guess we'll go. No, wait, please. There is one. Cinderella's here. Hey! Let's just leave her out of it. Prince, could you not assault people for saying their lines? Unhand her at once. I won't allow anyone to harm my sister, no matter how exalted their station may be. Cinderella! I was wondering how long it would take you to find me. Highness, 
That slipper is indeed the one I left with you. I'd like it back. This Cinderella's got serious attitude. Why is she always eating something? I know why you have come. Clearly, you're here to ask for my sister's hand in marriage. <laughs> what? No way! I'm not! Are you crazy? Well, sir, you did come here to find a wife, so she's not wrong. Um, sister? It's, wait, no. That's not why I'm here. Seriously. Then... you came for me? How awful. Hey, it's not like I'm happy about it either. Well, Prince, what is it that you want? <sighs> why not just tell me what the hell you want? Someday, will you admit the truth? Or will you keep deceiving yourself forever? Will you stay as you are? Locked in your palace alone and isolated? Until the day you die? So what if I do? It's not like it hurts anyone else but me. What does it matter if I choose to- No, please! I don't want that! doesn't want that. I apologize for the interruption. There you are. I wondered where my loyal servant had gone. I am not your servant, but I do know that a marriage between you and the prince would not end well. So let me ask you again. What do you truly wish for? I want to run a yakiniku shop with my sister. She's not All right. Your venture will have the Prince's financial support. You're supposed to be the one making wishes come true. Prince, I won't ask what it is you wish for. You'll just have to see it through on your own. Ah. Such a righteous magnanimous judgment! Wait! So close! Not long after their first fateful meeting, Cinderella and the Prince parted ways. But the Yakiniku shop flourished, and Cinderella, having thoroughly demonstrated that a woman's livelihood does not depend upon marriage, proceeded to live happily ever after. That was supposed to be Cinderella. No, not quite. He said it was Cinderella-ish. And they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> uh, just killed it, y'all. Yeah. Y'all killed it. You gotta pay the troll toll to get into this voice hole. Gotta pay the troll, <laughs> troll toll to get, to get in. into. <laughs> troll toll. <laughs> What'd you say? Troll toll. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> troll toll. Uh, yeah. Great, great performance. Yeah. <laughs> And also, Momiji filmed the whole thing, and he promises Toru to give uh, Kuruno a copy just so he can see Uochan's outburst. So hang on to that for a bit. So, reaching the end of Season 2 right here, and uh, we do get to that uh, one uh, final moment with uh, Machi where we do get a bit more of a character, but it's just uh, just enough to leave you wanting more, but uh, to still let you know who she really is. You know, how she lives, and it's not great. She lives in this dingy, messy apartment with a broken window, and... Even though she doesn't live with her mom, you know, like Yuki, her mom is just controlling every aspect of her life. You see, like, textbooks and everything all around her room, so it's like she's being forced to just study, study, study to, like, make sure she can be the head of the table over Manabe. 
And yeah, we see that she's, she just sees herself as like an empty shell, someone who could never change. And she envies Yuki because he's someone who kind of started off as somewhat of an empty shell, but he managed to change himself for the better. So she's kind of hoping maybe, maybe she can one day be like him. And I feel bad that we got to leave her off though, because I'm like, this kind of feels like they're rushing. They're kind of like rushing to put it in there though at the end, by the end of the season. Yeah. Like this, like, could we, could we not have maybe saved this backstory for her and see in the next season a little yeah, bit? Yeah, Like I wish they could have like saved it there. Like maybe tease it out, but it's then, like, I want to care, but I'm already really hung up now on the Soma family. Yeah. Like we've, we've had so much to deal with, with the Soma as the season, like all their backstories coming to fruition right here. It's like. I'm sorry, Machi, you're kind of getting pushed to the side here, but don't worry, we will get to her in the final season. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to you, Machi. So anyway, it's almost New Year's Eve, and it's time for the traditional Soma New Year's Banquet. And Yuki actually goes this time around, he usually tries to avoid it, but now he's actually going. And he takes time to talk to Akito, says he's no longer going to blame them, or anyone else for that matter, about the issues that he's gone through over his life. You know, he, he feels like he needs to take a bit more responsibility for himself, and he just needs to keep moving forward. And, oh, did Akito not like that? Not one bit, as they, you know, they see a look in Yuki's face, a look that's familiar to them, a look that they hate. And then they end up smashing a bottle in Yuki's face, giving him a big, giving him a big cut over his eye. Not too bad, but, like, you know, hurts like a son of a bitch. Yeah, and just makes a scene in front of all the other Somas, and just demands that Yuki apologize, and then just storms right off. Yuki will be alright, but something's really up. Like, there's more to that outburst from Akito right there. Also, is it me, or did this New Year's feel kind of pared back, almost? It feels it feels like there should have been more to it. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, also, well, also did, did I also not spy a monkey there as well? Yeah, a bit of uh, the monkey in the room here. Ritsu Soma, conspicuous by their absence this season. Oh, Ritsu, there you are. You're going gonna to do anything more here? Anything no. more? No, no. If you remember back in uh, the season one podcast, I mentioned that, uh, unfortunately, the mangaka, Takia, forgot about Ritsu after their introduction and only realized to put them in once they were ending the manga. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. We're gonna see any of that that dance Hattori was doing? No, no, no. no oh, no. we got We got to wrap this all up. Yeah. This, this is what I mean when I say like this. This party feels like it, there should have been more to it. Mm, yeah. You got the rest of the Zodiac all here interacting stuff. Like, w wait, why, why are we only showing? I was like, okay, so we're only going to show really Yuki and Akito here. Yeah. Like that's that's it. Like this this is New Year's. The New Year's party. People are the Zodiac. Like, shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't this scene be bigger? Yeah, like, they, they even say, like, even in season one, that this is a big deal for them. This is their biggest event of the year. And it's like, wait, like, this is it? The scene goes by quickly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it really does. It this really whole does. scene goes by very quickly. And I'm like, no, like, I, I wanted to see more of this. Mm -hmm. This is what we should have been focusing on instead of Machi. <laughs> yeah, like, they easily could have, like, put the Machi stuff into the final season and then, like, make the whole episode just about the uh, the banquet. I mean, I, I don't know if this is, what, this is what it was like in the manga. Like, maybe it was. Maybe it did go by quickly. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. But, like, no, I, it's one of those things where I wanted to see more of this. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, kind of dropped the ball a little bit there. A little bit, but I can see them kind of, like, we're getting, we're nearing the end of the season. We kind of just got to cut to the chase here and get to the point. Mm-hmm. So let's close things out here. As uh, during the banquet, Momiji does manage to get the DVD of the Cinderella play to Kuruno. And he watches it, and he does get to the point where Uo-chan has her big outburst about him. 
And it's a really well done scene where like he's watching this and like he's actually reaching out towards the screen towards Uochan, but then he flashes back to a moment with uh, him and Akito when they were kids and Akito screaming for Kurono not to abandon them. So, and he just realizes that I gotta tell Toru about all this. I need to come clean about something that I've been keeping from everyone for a while now. So, Kurono meets with Toru in the park as he approaches her. We see that there are birds in front of her. They fly away. They aren't drawn to him, despite the fact that he's the rooster and should be attracted to birds. Toru doesn't understand this. Then Kurono grabs Toru by the arm, pulls her in. We get some reminders of how the Soma Curse works, you know. Whenever they're weak or exhausted or come into contact with the opposite sex, they transform. He hugs Toru. Nothing happens. Nothing He's not cursed anymore. Like, oh shit. You broke the curse. He's different. He broke the curse, yeah. Oh fuck. <laughs> it happened to him when he was a kid without any warning. The bond was severed. He was free. But in the end, he really wasn't free. Like, he couldn't believe what was going on. And then Akito sees this happen, and then they just kind of freak out right there. They have a meltdown about this. And from that moment on, Kuruno couldn't leave Akito from then. Like, even though he's free, he's not free. And also, Kuruno has to has a bit of a survivor's guilt here. You know, he's the only one who broke the curse while everyone else isn't. Well, the other thing that's also, that's also that's also that also helps to con- uh, contextualize this as well as uh, showing showing Akito as they were um, back with Kuro- Kurono back in their younger years, where Akito was at one point in their lives actually kind of an actually kind of nice. Yeah, they were actually a nice child. Like this was a side that it seems like Kurono only really saw. But then when Akito saw that Kurono broke his broke his curse, then that's really what, like, kind of triggered this, like, feeling of abandonment in Akito. Like, they start to believe that, oh, if he can leave, then everyone else can leave, and then they'll be alone forever. It's the first time we really see, like, that, je- that, that like, really deep, uh, really deep-seated fear in Akito at one point in their lives as well. Which is pretty shocking. Yeah. Which kind of hints that there might be something even more to Akito as well. Yes. Like where like, it makes you questioning where did that fe- where did that like almost like death like fear come from in mm-hmm. Akito of, of of the zodiacs leaving Akito, and also even though Kurono wants to leave, he wants to go and be with Uochan. He does love her, but he can't. You know, not only just because he has like this survivor's guilt of being the only one who broke the curse, but. He can't leave Akito. Yeah! Akito. Akito, calm down. What did you do? What's the matter, Akito? Stay away! Nobody come near me until I say so! Akito! I'll kill anybody who tries! I will, I swear! Akito? Why? Why did it have to break? Why? It's our bond. I don't know. It just happened. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere? I don't understand. One second it was there, and then... What's that? Look in your eyes. It changed when... No. Akito. Your eyes. They're so distant. 
Why now? Why did this happen? No! Don't go, don't go, don't go, don't go! Swear you won't go anywhere, you can't leave me! Stay by my side, no matter what! Swear you'll stay by my side forever! Don't leave me behind! Swear it! Swear it! Swear that you won't abandon me! Good enough! Please! I'm begging you, cut it out! Don't go! I couldn't do it. I couldn't leave. To Akito, the Zodiac members' bonds are everything. The truth is, without us, the god can't exist. So the day my curse broke, I made a promise I swore not to leave. No matter what, no matter what, I'll always be by your side. I swear it. Okay? Really? I would have said anything to make those tears stop. I knew that it meant deceiving the others and pretending I was still the rooster. But if it would ease that child's pain, it was a price I was willing to pay. So it was pity? I mean, the curse was already broken. So your bond would have been severed too. Leaving may have been better for everyone involved, including Akito. And you know, it's not too late. I made a promise. I can't leave. It's true that the curse is broken. And the bond I felt back then disappeared with it. Embrace. It may be out of pity on my part, but I swore to stay. Over and over. And so I will. Until the day Akito no longer needs me. I'll be there. Always. I decided I would live for that child. Whose tiny body was racked with sobs than anyone, more fragile than anyone. I would give anything for that child, for the sake of that sad, broken little girl. You said girl. You mean Akito. Akito is a girl. Yes, yes. We end off on that bombshell right there. What? The, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, you end off there? <laughs> yes. Ah, See you next season. Fuck off. <laughs> oh, that's nasty. Mm-hmm. You, you leave off with, like, all this. All this. The curse breaking, Akito being a girl. Like, oh, come on. Ah, oh, jeez. You, you can't, like... You can't leave off people like that. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, you guys are lucky you knew you were getting a final season, like you were going to finish the story off, because if, if you ended off there without knowing, then, God, you would have made a lot of people mad. 
This is, this is why I say, like, the, the, the midpoint of the season should have actually been where it ended. And then season three, you just say season three's the final season, 25 episodes. Eat your fucking hearts out. Yeah, I, I could see that they should have probably done that. Ah, uh, if only. If only. In another world. Just kind of uh, benefit of hindsight, be that as may. Because now that's where we have to leave our podcast off Yeah, on. we Yeah, unfortunately we gotta leave that off on this biggest bombshell. Which, uh. which by the way, was something that the original anime really fucked up because in the original anime back in 2001 they made akito male gave them a male voice actor and everything like that and said that yeah akito was a boy which is not right which kind of signifies they maybe weren't uh thinking long term with that no like like as much as i do like the original anime and i apologize if i come off as like very disparaging towards it it's it's still very good but yeah, it felt like they had no plans of doing more after that first season. Like, they had no sense of long-term booking. I mean, maybe they didn't have the chance to. Maybe they were also told they couldn't. Yeah, probably that too. Kind of a shame to see. Yeah, but glad we're getting it now. And yeah, setting the record straight, Akito is a girl right here. And we will get into more about that and like why that was kept a secret for so long in the next season. Mm-hmm. But yeah, curtain down. See you in the final season. Final thoughts. I mean, it's 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 more it's more fruits basket. I, I love it. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it, they they really took the time to hone in on all the relationships for season two and help refine them and really show it makes each of the characters tick. I could not have asked for uh, better better kind of better romance written in in anime and manga and uh, or even a better family drama. It's really it really is still to this day some of the best stuff out there. Like I said, like, this season giving me everything I could have wanted from more Fruits Basket in anime form. Like, yeah, I could have read the manga and everything like that, but I really, really wanted to see this animated because that's just how I discovered it for the very first time. And I'm glad, like, Fruits Basket finally got its well-deserved second season, and it will get its well-deserved third and final season to, like, end off on the story. And without going into too much spoilers, I will say it does end off on a very satisfying note. They do wrap it up nicely, you know. Overall, a 63-episode run is a very solid run for the series. And, like, looking at the manga, like, that final 13 episodes, they only cover, like, about... There was only, like, six volumes left from this point on, so, yeah, they kind of do have a... Do plenty enough to, like, cover for 13 episodes. Mm, I would hope so. But, yeah, everything else is great, and also I just love seeing everyone again. I, I love these characters that I'm the biggest Toru Honda fan in the world. I love all of her relationships with all these characters, and, like I said, the fact that this season kind of made me question whether or not I'm a big... I'm a Toru Kyo guy or a Toru Yuki guy, so, you know, if it can do that, then you're really doing something well here. Mm, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a real hard task juggling all these characters and these different arcs that they're going through in personal journeys. It's a really tough balancing act to pull off, but Fruits Basket, even in its second season, like, still juggles it all extremely well. And really nailing it with all the backstories to, like, some of the other Somas, too. Like, after hinting at some of it in season one, like, really going full force with it. 
it just really works with Fruits Basket. Like, that's what the series is. Like, you're gonna have to have these dark moments here. They balance it out with, like, all these lighter moments, and, like, they makes for a really good story. Mm-hmm. Masterful work. Yeah, and, like, and it goes to show that this reboot is, like, the perfect way to watch Fruits Basket animated, more so than the original anime, whereas the original anime kind of felt like it felt more like a comedy with drama moments, whereas this new series is a drama with comedy moments, which is how Fruits Basket honestly should be. Yeah, despite my gripes, this is still feeling, even in, even well into season two, like the definitive, one of one of the definitive versions of Fruits Basket out there. Yep, and animation-wise, TMS, they can do no wrong. They've done a lot of great stuff, and Fruits Basket is like easily one of the best stuff they've done in recent years. I know, God, they still deliver so well in like the, uh, the, the, the more, the quieter, beautiful moments, but also the humorous moments as well. Just all, just all really, they just still continue to knock it out of the park here. And also, like I said in the original podcast, the voice cast, like, it's great to hear these actors as these characters again after, like, almost 20 years when they did this back in, like, 2001. Even more so, Laura Bailey as Toro Honda, like, the fact that she's still back to play her after being away from anime for so long. And she so still great. kills it. She, she is Toru. She is 100% Toru. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Great stuff. Stay tuned for Season 3. I'll see you next year. Thank you all for listening. I've been your host, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias at MikeyShiota on Twitter, MikeyShiota.tumblr.com, and MikeyShiota on the gram. Where can we find you, Ryan? You can find me at 2Bits on Twitter and WolfishGrin on Tumblr. Follow AnimeBaybay on Twitter at Anime underscore Baybay. That's Anime underscore B-A-Y-B-A-Y. And also follow the show at AnimeBaybay.podbean.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. And... I don't know about you, but something about this seems familiar. You know, doing a Fruits Basket podcast in February, and uh, our next episode here is going to be a go-home show to Anime Detour. A uh, bit of a deja vu all over again here. <laughs> <laughs> so, barring any unforeseen catastrophes, knock on wood, uh, on our next episode we'll be going over our big plans for our first big convention in three years, Anime Detour. Talk about cosplays, panels, the works, everything. It'll be our big go-home show for that. Mm-hmm. Really looking forward to it. But, of course, we will be covering a show as usual. And it's a show that came in with a lot of hype. You know, something that we were hyped for, but then fizzled out on impact, really. It's been a while since we've talked about a show where we both didn't like it. Probably since Black Clover. <laughs> you in particular, disliking yeah. it way more. Kind of similar to Black Clover. Uh, on the next episode, we'll be talking all about... Fuck you, it's Blade Runner! Yep. Talking about Blade Runner Black Lotus. <laughs> Joy. <laughs> Don't know why I'm depressed. I'm the one who made this choice, but still. <laughs> but yeah, we'll be talking about that next time. It's been a while since we've talked about some bullshit here. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, we I'm actually kind of looking forward to it. You know, this month we bring you in with all the kindness and joy with Fruits Basket, but now get ready for some some not-so-good stuff with Black Lotus next month. <laughs> but uh, hey, we balance it out with some talk of detour and everything, so it'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> it won't be It won't be all, like, it won't be all be dour cyberpunk talk. Yeah, so come for the detour talk, stay for us to moan about Black Lotus, and maybe uh, hear me tipping back a few, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, you might you might just see a whole new dimension of, my, of Mikey next time. <laughs> stay tuned for that one. Until then, stay safe out there, get vaxxed, get boosted, wear a mask, Black Lives Matter, trans rights are human rights, stop Asian hate, and try to make it a good year. And this has been... Anime, Anime baby! baby.
よこの涙を拭いて愛することは寂しくないよだからいつも通りに前を向いて歩きません誰がはい。